Steven. William. We are not internationally known. However. Says you. We are known throughout the microphone. <laughs> Let me tell you about something that I just learned last week. Okay. <laughs> the school that I'm on the board of trustees for, my old alma mater, we just hired a DEIB coordinator. Mm-hmm. To, so the Diversity, common term is DEI. And, yeah. And then B is belonging. Oh. And that's kind of a new thing. It's kind of neither here nor there, but conceptually, I get it. Why check the box of diversity if no one's gonna, if none of the diverse students are going to feel included mm-hmm. or belong like they belong there? Yada yada. Anyway, right. so just hired her on. I'm on the DEI committee, cool. <clears throat> subcommittee awesome. of the board. And at the end of our last meeting, she was she said, "Hey, Will." Like yes, <laughs> she goes, "Are you Silver Dreamer?" Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, sorry. She just started at the school this year. She started like two months ago. First of all, is this your first time anyone ever recognizing you in real life as Silver Dreamer? Yes. That's a trip. That's a, right? that's a thing on its own. Wow. So she, in at the very end of the meeting, we have like minutes left. Yeah. She tells me about last year. She had a class that where they talked about our podcast. What? Talking about Harriet Tubman being in the Daughters of Liberty. <laughs> oh my God. I was That's like, incredible. excuse me? What? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I reached out to her. I was like, you gotta, you gotta tell me what happened. How this came she was, to get, and she was yeah. like, yeah. So guys, you know. Will Will's over here talking about like silver rights leaders and yada 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 and like Marvel and comics and by the way FYI Twitch and podcast and stuff and she kept on intermingling Twitch and podcast I think yeah. she thinks it's the same thing so because how else would she know silver dreamer anyway so <laughs> I reached out to her and I was like what is this explain <laughs> please. <laughs> And she said it was a student who found us, who found, wow. yeah, who found our stuff. She said we were talking about graphic novels, about how graphic novels are being used to share history in a form other than textbooks that allows for more critical investigation and accessibility. Hell yes. And so her kids would say, we talk about issues through the context of comics. I'm a mess. She's a massive MCU person. Another teacher friend pr- apparently regularly te- uh, presents at Comic Con. So I got to. Talk to them at some point, but (laughs) so we created this seminar for our students in fourth and 11th grade, not the same time. Admittedly, I thought Twitch was strictly for DJs. So my student (laughs) tells me he heard this cool podcast about the Harriet Tubman comic. They were super geeked that discussion we were having uh, was happening on a podcast. It led them and me down a rabbit hole, non-educators who were talking about MCU through a justice lens. Interesting. It stuck with me because, A, I didn't realize these conversations were happening out loud anywhere else. Like, I knew it intellectually, but not really. And B, my 11th graders were totally into it. Wow. And so now she wants to start this conversation about doing similar seminars at the school. Yes. With her and I. So, I feel like super I, random. I also want to uh, pass along Rachel, my partner's uh, 
grad dissertation there, which was all about the comics medium and how it can be used as a teaching tool and specifically embodying feminist pedagogy. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like she'd be like, into that. Right? And yeah. just blew my mind. Wow. And so I wrote back, I was like, just for the clarification, I have my Twitch Silver Dreamer. I also have a podcast, Hype is yeah. Superpower. And that's where we talked about the Harry Tubman thing and Daughters of Liberty. On my Twitch, I do talk about comics and I read comics on Sundays. But the, that specific conversation was on my podcast. Yeah. Anyway, so we are known, sir. I don't know. There I don't know go. how they found us. <laughs> oh, this, yeah, that's you know one of our one of our twelve listeners happens to be the absolute right person. You know, you you never know. You just never know that it really. What a what a good piece of news. Just like yeah, because we make this thing, you know, mostly for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right we're not doing this with a message or a a like mission (laughs) yeah it's just we have fun talking about the things that make us hype and through our experiences in life other people have had fun watching us talk incredible (laughs) so (laughs) but yeah just super random and awesome and it is really cool yeah. Thanks for having the idea to make a podcast and start recording it. Thanks for being my lifelong best friend who wants to talk to me about comic books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, man. MVD. <laughs> but yeah, and it's just historical figures in comics is such an interesting topic to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Like how it, they get how they get woven into the tapestry of Marvel or sometimes DC. Right. And this is one of the things where I feel like we should be very deliberate talking about the the sort of shared universe big continuity as part of the superhero genre or part of the, you know, the publishing model of the big two versus comics as a medium, right? Right. But right. Yes. Yes, because there's an upteenth number of of other comics out there that I do not put my eyes on. But the, yeah, but it it's so I, I think a lot about the ways that the comics medium, right? Like putting pictures and panels together to tell a story, to create narrative. The 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 ways that that sort of like enables storytelling options for, you know, for, for justice and for social justice and all these things. But in, and, you know, we talk mostly about Marvel and, and uh, it's fun to go back and think about specifically the ways that the sort of the ways that Marvel or big two superhero broad continuity can, can enable these sorts of conversations too, because yeah, you're working within a history that is adjacent to the history that we know, but it's different in some ways, which gives you Mm -hmm. the opportunity to play with it. And then you can keep, you can return to concepts, you know, months, years, decades later, and either put a timely new spin on it or revisit it with different characters or interact with the history of the comics that have been unfolding all this time alongside real world history. And how are these like, how do they nudge each other in certain ways? So, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Super cool. There, there are so <laughs> many 
You're right there. You were right. There's so many like possibilities there. Yeah. It has prompted me like I want to now start like tracking when the when those kinds of things like real mm. world situations come across our uh the the comics that we read and totally. like how how is that like where can we go with that? Ah, it's just <laughs> it's so it's just she has accidentally but maybe purposefully lit this really weird fire under me that I did not know I was going to ever have. Oh, my mother would be so proud. <laughs> this is how I learned about activism and, and civil and human rights. <laughs> you were, you were going to get there eventually, man. <laughs> you, you care, you care too much about other people to, to, yeah. to not, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Anyway, yeah. Hi, what are we doing? Hi. Oh, (laughs) I'm so glad you asked. Uh, This is Help is My Superpower. This is our podcast where we talk about uh, the things we are hyped on, namely comic books. I'm Steve Storman alongside Will Freeland, and uh, we've got a great show for you today. Will, what did you read? Tell you what I read. Okay. So, after Nick Spencer's amazing run on Spider-Man, yes. we took a break and did Spider-Man Beyond, and now we're back with The Amazing Spider-Man by Zeb Wells. Wow. Yeah. This is the first volume of Peter Parker's Spider-Man. I'm really, really coming to enjoy Zeb Wells. Yeah. Hellions. Uh, me too, honestly. She-Hulk. Yeah, this guy is putting together a resume, and they gave him the crown jewel, the biggest assignment at the company. They gave him Spider-Man. Yeah. This, this was a book, I'll tell you what. All right. Okay. So, and then after that, funny you should mention, the yeah. first volume of She-Hulk. Oh. She-Hulk. Jen again is the name of the volume. It's by Rainbow Rowell. Rowell. Oh, cool. Who did that Runaways run and mm-hmm. other things? Yeah. Interesting. I'm cool. There, there's like two, there's one main story and one side story kind of going through. I guess two side stories going through. And I find myself more intrigued by one of the side stories than I do the main story. But mm-hmm. it, it's, it was a fun, fun little read. And then we've got Black Panther Legends. This was physically the smaller book, and so <laughs> I was I was wondering oh, yeah. if this was going to be main six one six or not. But it seems like it's main six one six. Interesting. I should say I haven't seen anything that says otherwise. Okay, but it's only four four issues of kind of like T'Challa growing up and becoming the Black Panther. So this is like. The days of Wakanda before they opened their gates and before he was introduced in Fantastic Four. Cool. Yeah. And then issues 17 through 20 of Sandman. Yes, Sandman. I read as part of my ongoing masochistic journey of reading every single X-Men comic and spinoff ever. I had an arc on X-Man, an arc on (laughs) Cable. And an arc on Deadpool and Sandman. Sandman. Volume three, <laughs> Dream Country. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to yeah going over that. Yeah, me too. Two of my, I'm going to say two of my very favorite single issues of comics of all time, in that one volume. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. I, I'm wondering. We'll see. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's only started. four issues. There's only four issues. So <laughs> I have a 50% chance of getting you right. But I, okay. Okay. Should we, should we jump into this? <laughs> Let's jump in. Yeah. So first one I'm going to talk about is Amazing Spider-Man just because that's what I read first. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd probably keep this to the end because this was just fun. Okay. So we've talked many times about how the comics can't fundamentally change a character, right? Right. So when we got introduced to Peter Parker, he was down on his luck. He's got the Parker, Parker luck. and he was single. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this starts with one, the very first page is set outside York, Pennsylvania, and it's Pete with a like sensor and he's in a crater, big purple smoke. He's beaten and battered. His suit's all torn up. And at the end of the page, he screams. And then you turn the page and it just says, Six months later. Okay. So we've got, we've already got two fill in the gaps. What happened situations. Yeah. yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get to this point? And then what went from this point to what we're going to read next? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But then like the next page is in Queens where He's talking with Aunt May and she's like thoroughly disappointed in him. He screwed her over somehow. And she just straight up says like, I can't be lied to again. And this is an Aunt May that doesn't know that he's Spider-Man. Okay. So I'm assuming it has to do with that because right. most of his excuses for not being around are Spider-Man related. <laughs> <laughs> Let's also not forget that Right before this six-month gap, he was in the hospital for uh, as Spider-Man in that for that radiation. Oh no, as Peter Parker for all the radiation that he got hit with against the UFOs when Ben Riley was Spider-Man. Okay, and that's what took him off the board, so Ben Riley could become Spider-Man. Copyright, right. yada, yada yada. Right, right. So Pete was in the hospital, and then when he was starting to get better, Captain America and Felicia. Black Cat were training him on how to get used to being Spider-Man again. And basically, Aunt May just says, you know, I've stood by you as best as I could these past months. It cost me dearly. I don't mind being in a smaller pace, place. It suits me because she's in this tiny apartment now. And Pete says, May, I can't. She said, no, I can't be lied to again. Something happened to you and you won't tell me what. Why don't we leave it at that? I always knew you kept something from me, but whatever it was seemed to make you happy. So I told myself it was okay. But this, and she's like, no, you have to believe me. She's like, I do, Peter. That's the problem. Mm. I'll always believe you. So it hurts to listen to you lie. I hope you'll come to dinner on Saturday, but I won't hold my breath. And that's the end of that scene. So things are strained with Aunt May. Yeah. It's like a bedrock, you know, relationship and what keeps Peter going. 
Pete comes back to his apartment in Alphabet City, and there's a debt collector sitting outside waiting for him because he has hospital bills that he's not making payments on. (laughs) And just, just this guy that looks super shady. I don't even know if he is really the collector because he just, (laughs) he just bugs me. (laughs) Sure, But he's like, Oh, Mr. Parker heard you were back in town. Wondered if you had a second to go over a statement from MacArthur medical center. There's still a hefty balance. And we'd love to know when you plan on paying it off. And then Pete's like, are you the one who called my aunt? And he's like, I can't tell you that, but somebody has to take responsibility for the balance. So I'm wondering if Aunt May had to like sell the old place mm-hmm. or something to yeah. get into massive debt to help pay for some of the bills. And so there was that. And then he goes upstairs and sees Randy, who is Robbie Robertson's son, who is currently dating Janice. Janice Lincoln, who is the daughter of Tombstone, who's also the current Beatle. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Only that all stuff. You know, <laughs> Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and there are a lot yes. of them. Yes. So Pete and Randy and Boomerang used to live together. Okay, interesting. Boomerang lived out, or moved out. So it was just him and Randy. Randy, I believe, is... He moved out and he's living with Janice, maybe. But because Pete was still in that apartment, especially while he was in the hospital, Randy was covering the rent for that apartment to let him have a place to come back to, basically. And so Randy's been going out of his way for Pete. And Pete's being really dismissive. And Randy's like, that's it? Are you serious? But hey, (laughs) that's not technically why I'm here. It's like, hey, so I want to ask Janice to marry me and I'm going to dinner with Tombstone tonight to ask for his permission. I'd really appreciate it if you like checked in with me in a couple hours because it's Tombstone. (laughs) 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 And he's like, yeah, sure, fine. Okay. And then he tries calling Mary Jane and she doesn't pick up. And you're like, what Mm. the hell? And then Tombstone's having a meeting with all of the mob heads of New York. And the Rose, who is Fisk's son, brought back to life by the spirit tablet, (laughs) um, (laughs) comes back or comes in and he's vying for, you know, a a seat at the table, basically. But he doesn't have a territory right now because he's still figuring shit out. But he's like... Yeah, but I've got muscle. And he shows up with this guy. His name is Digger. Oh, okay. Uh, He is a character introduced by Straczynski back in the early 2000s. Oh, okay. He was kind of a one-off. He was like mob character that got buried from a mob hit, irradiated soil from chemical spill, got turned gamma and undead, and is like a fusing of like 13 different mob (laughs) members. Okay. And so he has all of their voices in his head. Not the smartest guy. And he's just like super strong. Okay. He's back from the dead. This is the first time we've seen him in like 20 years, I believe. He's back from the dead. And he mentions, he's talking about the green door because he's gamma. (laughs) Of course. And and Rose is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, come on, come on. Just for the sake, because like, 
since then, we've been introduced to the Green Door. He's Gamma, so he has to have seen the Green Door. Like, <laughs> like that's just like, yes, I know that happened. Yeah. But that does not have anything to do with anything. Fair. But anyway, so at this meeting, Rose is like, I want to, I want a seat. And everyone else is like, you're going to have to like earn it, buddy. And Rose wants to buy weapons from Tombstone. So they're going to have a meet. Other than that, Pete goes out onto his uh, windowsill and Human Torch shows up. Torch is still completely flamed on, can't turn off, as right. we saw from Fantastic Four. Johnny's like, dude, you stole from us. And he and Pete says, I need your help. And he's like, you needed people to look the other way while you screwed up your life. Were, you, were we supposed what to let that happen? What is going on? Yeah. So these last six months have just been hell for yeah. Pete. Nobody knows why. So Pete went and kept an eye on uh, Randy and Tombstone's meeting. It visually, aesthetically went well. Tombstone had this whole like scare tactic of, uh, about like his bringing up and in his world, if you want something, you take it. You don't ask for permission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you take it, you have to keep it. And Randy's like, um, uh, well, uh, <laughs> Tombstone's <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just messing with you, dude. Like, you know, thank yeah. you for, thank you for asking. I trust Janice. And if she says yes, then I'm here for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. Yeah. And then he brings out uh, a celebratory like champagne form. Anyway, Pete is like, okay, things seem to be going fine. And let me look around. Oh, hey, rabbit is outside. Rabbit, white rabbit is kind of a no name who keeps on popping up. Like I legit want to call <laughs> her like, like a Y or Z lister. Okay. <laughs> <But> sure. <laughs> doesn't die. She never wins, <laughs> but she keeps coming back. Okay. And respect the hustle. On, yeah, she's on the Sinister Syndicate with Janice. Okay. And so she's doing Janice a favor by working for Tombstone. Okay. Like some extra hired muscle. Anyway, Pete is like, what's going on with that? And so he follows them and they're on their way to the deal and uh, with the Roses men. And Pete throws it off. Digger gets involved. The deal doesn't go down well. There's this guy, Kareem, who's locked in tombstone's car during the kerfuffle explosion's about to go off pete saves him i only mentioned that because he comes up again later <laughs> um <laughs> but you know typical overthrow a, a arms deal yeah. yada 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 pete calls mj again and she like picks up from like a closet in some other apartment and she's like she says you've got to stop you have to stop doing this. And he's like, please, MJ, I'm trying to. And she says, don't call me again and hangs up. <sighs> wow. Yeah. So Tombstone, because the deal went south, they do a hit on Tombstone. They blow up his apartment while he's in it. He survives because Tombstone's a badass. <laughs> Debt collector is still trying to collect from, Steve, uh, from Pete. Tombstone pulls up to Pete's apartment and okay. he asks him in. He's like, hey, you're, you know, Spider-Man, right? And he's like, I mean, sure. Because um, <laughs> it's pretty, it's known at this point uh, of their association. Anyway, Tombstone's yeah. like, listen, Rose blew up my apartment last night because of a deal that went south. And Pete's like, why should 
I or Spider-Man care. And he's like, you need to know that this is spider or you need to tell Spider-Man this is, this is his fault. And the ensuing chaos that's going to happen as a result of this is Spider-Man's fault. This was going to go, this was going to be a smooth transaction. Shit was going to be fine, but Spider-Man got involved. So from now on, Spider-Man is my project. I will not stop until I bring Spider-Man down. You let him know. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh God. Okay. And then we get one little view of MJ. And there's this guy, Paul, who just personal bias looks like a douche, but he's has <laughs> <laughs> facial hair and wow. some glasses. And he's checking on MJ. And she's like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. And what do you have against guy with facial hair and glasses? I don't know, man. <laughs> but this is what happens the next page. These two kids come in, one boy with br- with brown hair like Paul and one girl with red hair like MJ runs okay. in, runs in and says, "Mommy." And then and she says, what? "Kiddos." And they're like, "Will you tell us a bed story?" You know, "Mommy." She's like, "Of course. Yes, definitely." So, oh, okay. Visually MJ has children. Yeah. Paul's is implied as the father. I don't think they're hers because they're like five or six years old. And we have seen Mary Jane for the last (laughs) five or six years. She was never pregnant twice. (laughs) And like, it just, it doesn't add up. So, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And I'm like, God, I hope they don't do like Mary Jane's sister or something because she's never been, she's never had siblings. But like, <laughs> there's something odd happening. I don't know if it's going to be a illusion mind trick that we have convinced her that these are her kids, or if Paul's ex was also a redhead and they're young enough that when the two of them met and started like dating, they just wanted to call her mommy because she's a redhead. Like, right. where are they going to go with this? It's not going to stick right. because comics right. don't have these kinds of changes. <laughs> right. So, don't know. But those are yeah. the current stakes. <laughs> There's a lot that Zeb Wells is like, these are the stories I want to tell. It was 24 right. pages and they he did like six or seven different storylines. <laughs> Setting up for a big run. You know, yeah, he's, 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 he's taking his shoes off. He's getting comfy. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention. So the next issue starts with Norman Osborn approaching Pete at his apartment. And Pete's like, what the hell are you doing here? And fucking. So Norman's like, I have a job for you. And Pete's like, what makes you what makes you think I want a job, especially from you? And Norman says, why so frosty? You were quite charming when you needed my help. Help I gave you. And then there's a little asterisk. And it says, when did this happen from Nick? And you're like. <laughs> and then like halfway down the page, they make a reference to like how he's, you know, let go of his sins and under non-scientific circumstances, blah, blah. And it's like, this was in Amazing Spider-Man number 851. So they know. (laughs) Yeah. They know what happened, but it hasn't happened on page yet for whatever this thing is. So at some point, Mm. we're going to have a storyline or a couple of issues here and there of filling in the last six months. Of course. I mean, that's probably going to be one of the main storylines of the whole run. 
Yeah. Mind blowing. Anyway. Okay. So the job Norman has for him is to babysit Norman and Liz Allen's children. <laughs> Normie <laughs> is the older one. I forget what the younger one's name is. Stanley. Okay. Anyway. So his job is to babysit okay. for a couple hours. We'll see how that goes down. And then for Tombstone storyline, the only way I'm spending a quick second talking about this because I shared this with you and the ethics guys, but like, yeah, basically Tombstone is like, okay, well now I've got to get serious. I have to like be the old Tombstone, yada, 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 because I have to hit back at the rose. I have to deal with Spider-Man, all this ridiculousness. Janice shows up and she's like, dad, what's going on? Why are we in, why, what happened with the mansion? Why, why are we in this like safe house, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, don't worry about it. Let me handle this. And she's like, let you. Like, I'm I'm going with you. Like, <laughs> why do you think I can't handle myself? And he's like, listen, <laughs> he has this whole like speech, but he's like, I'm not asking you to sit out of this because you can't handle yourself. It's that mm. I've made all these changes, all these sacrifices to be your father. And I have great pride in that. The man who is going to go and deal with the rose, the things that man has to do, he is not your father. And I don't want you to see that. And it's just like, it is so blatantly honest. And it is one of the, yeah. is one of the most effective <laughs> like defenses of, of, of that like plot arc. Of just like, I don't want you to see, I don't want you, like, I'm protecting you from what you're going to see kind of stuff. Sure, the way it's yeah. presented is one of my favorite of the, like, hundreds that I've seen in my life. <laughs> Through movies, yeah. TV shows, comics, all that. Sure. That one was just like, that one was so just honest and straightforward. <laughs> a well so good. A well-worn trope done right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He talks about how he capped his teeth because when we first get introduced to Tombstone, he has like oh, yeah. he has the, like shark pointies, super yeah, jagged yeah, teeth. Yeah. He capped his teeth to be a what? good father for for Janice, <laughs> like all these little things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so she, he's like, "That's not your dad." She gets it. Point made. She leaves. She's yeah. like, "Okay, I'll, I'll head out." And so the next scene is him with some pliers in the fucking bathroom, and he's like, "Man." 2000 a tooth and then he removes all of the caps so he's back to like serrated tooth tombstone okay kareem and white rabbit are setting up for another deal and then it ends up being a farce to get spider-man away from what tombstone's about to go do kareem refuses to shoot spider-man because he saved his life he's like he pulled me out of a burning car. I like, I, I owe this yeah. man. No. <laughs> it's just like, ah, and so, so he ties them up. And this is the second time in as many issues that white rabbit has lost a fight. <laughs> like <laughs> she's useless. So anyway, <laughs> she tells Spidey where tombstone's going to be. And turns out that's not where Tombstone was going to be. Kareem's like, why'd you tell him that place? Why'd you tell him where Tombstone's going to be? She's like, that's not where he's going to be. And you're like, oh God. Meanwhile, Tombstone is meeting with Crime Master because Crime Master is supplying guns to the Rose. And Tombstone's like, in this coming war between me and the Rose, you have to pick sides. You helped the other side. And Crime Master's like, listen, 
I prefer to be neutral. I can I can supply you guys too. Just you know, say the word. And Tombstone's like, that's not that's not what this is about. So 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 Tombstone is like, yeah, you chose the wrong side. Anyway, so he goes and deals with all that. Spider Man shows up and tombstone has already beaten down all of crime master's men and he's in the back of a truck and spider-man's like you 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 got some beef with me guy you want to make me your project blah 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 and tombstone's like yeah let's do this so pulls him into the back of the truck and crime master's in there tombstone's there spider-man's there they close the back of the truck spider-man tries to get out tombstone keeps him there and then the walls start to close in like trash compactor mm-hmm. walls and then okay. and spidey's losing his ability to move around and then tombstone gets a hold of him and squeezes him until he blacks out <laughs> oh shit yeah and then he's like cool so here we go mission like start and that's the end of that issue. And then MJ's new man shows up to go and confront Peter at his apartment to just be like, you got to stop calling. <laughs> and then the deck collector's out there. And he's like, hey, you looking for Peter Parker? And he's like, yeah, I just need to talk to him real quick. And he's like, oh, how about that? Me too. Look at that. And does he owe you money? And he's like, no, nah, I'm just trying to, he's just making some phone calls that I don't appreciate. And he's like, ah, I knew that guy was ridiculous. Had a feeling. And he's like, I'm trying to collect on a hospital bill. Guy's laid up for months, racks up a bill, then disappears. And he says, really? Is he okay? Who cares? And he says, wow, I didn't know. That's depressing. And he just turns around and says, how much? And debt collector is like, buddy, you don't want to know. He's like, okay, well, how much to leave him alone for a few weeks? He's like, are you serious? It's like, yeah, let's, let's do this. He said 1500. And so the guy Venmo's him 1500, Paul Venmo's him 1500 bucks. And bill collectors like you, uh, you some kind of nice guy or something. What's up with that? He's like, I just don't like seeing someone getting kicked while they're down. I hope he's okay. And then he leaves. Okay. And you're like, damn it, right, Paul. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> damn it. You really wanted him to be a douche, I understand. Yes. yes. And then we get the primary storyline, which is Spider-Man. He's tied up in cuffs, in titanium cuffs. So they're very hard to break. And sure. Tombstone wakes him up. He's in some sort of abandoned basement. And then Tombstone beats him a bit more until he's bloody and, and breaking. And then he's trying to get out and he can't. And he's like, what is this? And Tombstone's like, I'm just teaching you a lesson. Does he never think to like take off his mask or find out who he is during this time? He doesn't care. It's just like, he doesn't care. Yeah. It got brought up. <laughs> okay. It's like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me who he is. He messed up my deal. I'm dealing with Spider-Man. I don't care about it. about him. <laughs> That's uh, mighty convenient for Peter. Right. But that also plays into his plan. So... Sure. He so Tombstone's men all dress up as the Roses men, and you know it's the Roses men because all of them wear a rose in their lapel, which is so easily forged, as we can see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So all of his men are going to dress up as the Rose, and they are going to they're going to go and massacre someone else. They're going to go rampage, shoot up 125th Street. 
And as far as anyone know, the Rose ordered the massacre. One of your friends will see the carnage and take care of the Rose for me. Captain America, Daredevil, I don't care. <laughs> and Pete's like, you're insane. Like, you're going to drag innocence into your little war. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you not know me? <laughs> and he's like, all right, guys, get a move on. And like, all right, locked and loaded, we're out. And Tombstone's like, before you die, I want you to know I've got your old friend Robbie Robertson. Gonna show him what happens when his kid tries to take my daughter. I'll say hi for you before I break him. <laughs> and then as he leaves, he says, kill them and kill him. And there's like four of the roses or of Tombstone's men down there. Mm-hmm. And he and he leaves. And Pete is like losing it. He's like, stop. I've learned my lesson. I've learned my lesson in like big red letters ex- like yellow outline on the, on the yeah on the speech bubble to show like how desperate he sounds and he's like i bet you have but it's too late to save the day and he just leaves and so what happened there is the goons are about to shoot him and at the very last second kareem comes in and he's like no 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 this isn't how we do it and he's like that guy saved my life like i'm not here to kill him in cold blood I'm not okay with this. So he moves on the other three. He has two of them on gunpoint. The guy who's going to kill him, he smacks him with his like billy club, grabs the key, unlocks Spider-Man. And he's like a life for a life. And Spider-Man's like, thanks, I got to move. And so he's moving as quick as he can, going through and starts taking out all the guys who are dressed like the Rose's thugs, going through every single, every single hallway, every single room, taking out everybody he can, trying to move as fast as he can. Meanwhile, Tombstone is with Robbie Robertson in a random rundown apartment-like area. And he's just like, hey, you know, your son asked uh, asked me for, for my permission. He's like, oh, really? And then <laughs> cuts back to Spider-Man and he's still going through the next room he's hiding in. Four guys walk in and he's like, and Pete says, bad news, guys. No more web fluid. And so now he's just beating the shit out of these guys. Just going ham. Uh, meanwhile, Randy and Janice are having like a weekend away. Uh, Robbie is not peeking, picking up the phone. They're trying to get to the place where Randy wants to propose. And they're stopped at a diner. And Janice proposes to him in the diner. Nice. And she, well, she's like, she's like, do you want to get married? And he's like, wait, what? That, but I was going to ask you. And she's like, but I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) Snipe. Right. And he's like, oh shit. Well now I, now I got to tell my dad. And so he's been calling, he's not picking up. So they get worried. And so they start racing back to the safe house to try to stop tombstone from killing Robbie. And so they're busting in as Spider-Man is busting into the last room. And in the last room is the Rose. And Rose is like, what the hell are you doing here? And Spider-Man's like, wait, something's up. (laughs) So he takes out the Rose and Randy and Janice bust in. They're like, dad, stop, stop, stop. And and they're like, what? And Tombstone and Randy and Robbie are having a cup of coffee together, just hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) And they just, and they both want to just say like how proud they are of the two of them and that they're, they're engaged now and they're very happy. And yeah, which was great because in Spencer's run, like Tombstone and Ra- and Robbie came to like a truce. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's nice. I appreciate that that Wells is keeping this going. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like they they came to a truce because of their kids, and and that's beautiful. Anyway, and Janice is like, "Don't hurt him! Don't hurt him!" Wait, Dad. <laughs> and Tombstone's like, "Janice, relax. I don't do that anymore." And she's like, "Wait, what about your war?" And he's like, "I decided there were things in my life I wasn't ready to give up, so I left it to the proper authorities." And it shows Spider Man. Just being like, fuck, I legit just took out the Rose and all of his men for Tombstone just now. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So that was a thing. And then you have an issue of the other heads of the uh, the other mob heads are meeting and they're like, hey, uh, Tombstone heard uh, Spider-Man took out the Rose. That's mighty convenient for you. You wouldn't be uh, working with Spider-Man, are you? And he's no. like, please, I would shoot myself if I started working with Spider-Man. They're like, okay, <laughs> if you say so. Meanwhile, Pete is Meanwhile. Pete is busted. Like, just messed the F up. Yeah. Felicia goes to the apartment, gets confronted by um, the collector, the debt collector, and he's like, are you trying to find? Are you trying to find Pete? <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, see anything?" He's like, "Nah, he hasn't. He hasn't come out in like days." And she's like, "Hmm." And she looks up and she sees Spider Man swing over and in, and she's like, "Ah, okay." So she hops up and she's like, "Listen, I just wanted to make sure like you're good because I've been hearing some stories. So I wanted to make sure things aren't that bad again." And Pete's just like, "Listen, I'm into some effed up stuff." Just leave me alone. And she's like, yeah, I get it. Everyone gets it. And I get why. So I goes, oh, why is that? Because your heart's broken. And then there's just silence. Mm. And she says, uh, you can get as angry as you want, but I know you're hurting. You've been playing injured since the accident with Ben. And I'm not talking about your body. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Stop playing hurt. Start playing smart. Start being you. Um, you're at your best when you're having fun. And she says, I appreciate you checking on me, but I've got to do this on my own. She's like, she rolls her eyes. Of course you do. You find that smile of yours. Give me a call. Maybe I'll let you chase me around for a bit. And he gets like this smirk. And legitimately, this is the first time he smiled this entire volume. (laughs) Because Black Cat is amazing and she's magical. Yes. (laughs) So anyway. Pete uh, learns about uh, where Digger's holding up. and Digger's all pissed off because... He was working for the Rose and now he doesn't have that income anymore. And Pete's like, well, sorry, buddy. (laughs) I thought you were gone. He's like, well, I'm back. (laughs) He's like, all right. And so he's like, hey, you know, I could try to make it up to you. Like, I could tell you where Tombstone's men are hanging out. And he's like, I'll I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Pete goes and meets Tombstone in his new mansion. And... He's like, hey, so how do you want to do this? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you taught me a lesson. That's fine. However, I've been thinking about some stuff. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, about, about like, he gave this whole backstory and we got like a view into like Tombstone as a kid. And he was like, but that stuff about you being a kid, not having enough. I hate that you didn't get what you needed, Lonnie. I really do. <laughs> and Tombstone's like, you're weird. Leave. He's like, nah. So... Here's the thing. If you don't want me to go around talking about how you and I are partners, you're going to you're going to let this be. 
going to leave me alone huh. or I'm going to start parading around that you and I are partners. And I feel like as much as much damage as that's going to do to my reputation, I can't even imagine yeah. how much it's going to hurt yeah. yours. Yeah. So how about you leave me alone? <laughs> <laughs> it ends with him making dinner on Saturday with Aunt May and she's relieved and happy. Uh-huh. And the stinger at the end has a close-up of Dr. Octopus. And he's just like talking to himself and, and flexing his like octopus arms, says he's already broken. As such, a diagram of his destruction is beneath me. I can wrest his happiness from him if it's already gone. So I'll leave him be until one day when he's full of life. I'll grab him by the throat and squeeze. And then this off-screen text speech says, vague, floored, useless. Do not toy with me. I will have the schemes by which you plan to destroy him. And Ox says, my thoughts are radiant, glorious things. Your brain could not hope to contain them. And he says, my mind is alight and alive, Dr. Octavius, and hungry, oh, so hungry. And Otto is like tied up on this giant circular thing. His arms are constrained. And the last thing I want to point out is this mysterious man who's in like a green like lab coat kind of, and then like some sort of mask. I don't fully know. His speech text is in Ultimate 1610 font. Oh, it's in it's in a sentence case. It's not all uh, all capitals yeah. like everything else. Yeah, interesting. Which makes me think it's the maker, Ultimate Reed Richards. Yeah, he's the only one. Yeah, could could be other than Miles, who's like from Ultimate and in six one six. But right. where's his helmet? <laughs> right. What's happened in the last six months, man? So yeah, uh, there was a couple other scenes with like MJ and the kids that didn't reveal anything, so it wasn't that pertinent. But like, uh, Randy and Janice are engaged now. Tombstone's yep. making moves. The Rose yep. tried and failed. <laughs> <laughs> the deck collector's going on. I like it. Sucks because the end of Spencer's run was already traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> with the, with the whole Mephisto being involved and Kindred and all that other stuff. And yep. Zeb, Zeb picked up and was just like, well, let's continue that trend. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just keep keep pulling it on. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, damn, dude. And like Pete's just not allowed to be happy. And I no. know when the issues first were coming out, I saw mentions here and there through like sponsored ads on my Facebook feed and stuff of like, yeah, Pete's not allowed to be happy. I can't believe they broke up Pete and Mary Jane again. And I was like, damn, really? <laughs> Cause like <laughs> Spencer was getting him yeah. to that point. He got the ring. He was going to propose again. Right. And like, I was going to be happy and like, let him propose. And then he was going to propose right before. Right. And then sinister war happened, which led into right. the climax for kindred. Right. So he got distracted. And then he got put in a radioactive coma. And then like you do. and then we jumped six months. And then, and now they're broken up. And MJ has these two children with this guy Paul, who's a really nice guy. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I have zero predictions on where this is gonna go. And I feel like this is off to a better start than Spencer's run. 
And interesting. Because I just wow. I was not invested in Spencer's run on Spider-Man. Okay. It was interesting enough. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't like blow my mind or anything. And so this huh. has me intrigued from volume one. So I really, I really hope that he can keep that going. Cool. I'm stoked for it. Okay. Awesome. So that was an investment of time. So She-Hulk by Rainbow yeah. Rowell. What's her what's her setup here? What's what's the the premise? What what take is going on on She-Hulk? So the last time we saw She-Hulk was the whole World War She-Hulk. She became right. the Winter Hulk and then undid her Red Room programming because she's got the strength of mind to do it. And I was right. mentioning how that felt odd. Sure. Not that she can't, but it's just but like why why can she do it not like it was just really interesting like yeah i don't know in all of the comics so all of her solo titles have been more fun and grounded like a spider woman book of just like yes there's superhero stuff but where the where the fun and meat of it is in the like idle banter and conversations and stuff like it's just it was like her trying out a new law firm and and like trying to be Jen Walters while at the same time sometimes she's going to go hulk some stuff like right none of that screamed hey let me just undo the red room programming at will <laughs> but right. whatever and like that's sure and I, especially now that the she-hulk show has come out and the world is so anti like they're just bigoted anti She Hulk right now. Right. I don't want to come right. across as a a bandwagoner about all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like it, it feels disingenuous to like bash on Sea Hulk right now. Um, mm. But this book kind of has her again starting over, and they talk about that as like kind of a. Uh, conversational theme that she is continually restarting and reinventing herself because that happens a lot with her. She's all, <laughs> yeah. like every title, she's starting a new job. Every um, time she is on the Avengers or on the Fantastic Four or Future Foundation, she's trying something new. Like, yeah. And that's been kind of just her theme for a while. Yeah. And so she talks about it in this, she's like, yeah, I'm just starting over again. <laughs> and it's like, okay. I mean, the first words of this book are, I hate starting over. <laughs> mm. And so okay. that's just kind of the thing. And so like, it's, that's kind of why it says, there's a caption that says Jennifer Walters, she Hulk, former attorney. And then the first <laughs> uh, thought bubble is I hate starting over. Right. Starting over, I was supposed to be further along by now. I was supposed to be having, I was supposed to have something to show for myself, something other than a stack of expired Avengers ID cards and a ring of keys that I don't, that don't go to anything. I think at least two are for fantastic cars. I always thought, (laughs) I always thought I'd make partner by now, or maybe that I'd have a practice of my own. I at least thought I'd have my own apartment. And while she's having that little inner monologue, Titania shows up random. That is Titania. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like for a lot of these that the writer on the comic is like, hey, we want to do it gets like a, a a pitch, you know, like outline. 
and is like, okay, go ahead and pitch us a She-Hulk show or, or a She-Hulk title that kind of hits some of these, like, we don't know much it, that, you know, something that'll tie in for fans of the show that's coming out. It'll publish around the same time. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what the show is going to be in detail yet, but, you know, we know that it's going to do this, this, and this. You know, it's going to be this kind yeah. of tone, you know, kind of like quirky, funny. It's going to have Titania in it. And yeah, go nuts. <laughs> yep. And so, so the very second so page, the, yeah, Titania shows up. Yep. <laughs> and that's fine. She, right. she was in Immortal Hulk on Gamma Flight. Yeah. And that was fun. It threw me off that Titania showed up so quickly. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, she showed up at the end of the first episode of She-Hulk on yep. MCU on Disney+. Sure Plus. So, yeah, it to to your point, it seems purposeful. Uh-huh. Uh, what I'm thankful for is they didn't reinvent Titania and make her a social media influencer <laughs> because that okay, is that shit was not fun. her character. It was, but do someone else <laughs> if you're going to do that in the comics. Fair. Titania is a bruiser. And like she's on par with Crusher Creel. They're married. Like, yeah, she's she's a belligerent, really strong, big woman. <laughs> <laughs> Let her be that. <laughs> so so she calls up, she's like, hey tiny, because she's walking around as Jen uh, okay. Walters. She's like, Can your big green friend come out to play? And she's like, Really, Mary? I heard you got cut down to size, only relatively speaking. Thought I'd take on the new you for a spin. I thought you were past this, Mary. You turned yourself around. Yeah, but then life turned me back again. Why is it, Walters, that you keep reinventing yourself and landing on your feet, and I keep landing on my face? Mm. And so she wants to fight for the sake of fighting. And Jen says, well, maybe it's because you keep on uh, picking fights with hulks. (laughs) (laughs) And so they have, they start, well, she starts attacking Meanwhile, Jen is like undressing. She like takes off her heels. She takes off her jacket and then she takes off her skirt. And <laughs> Titania is like, what the hell are you doing? She's like, I am not fighting you in my only suit. <laughs> and she's like, so you're going to fight me in your underwear? She's like, I fought you in less. <laughs> but the way that Rainbow has the artist do this was hilarious. So there's Jen regular and then... She takes off her heels, and in the very next uh, cell, it has Jen cut off because she got that much shorter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Antonio, by the way, is the artist. Cool. Uh, Roger Antonio and Luca Maresca. Nice. So she goes down to her chonies and shirt and bra and hulks up and yep. and fights Titania. And she's like, listen. We, do we have to do this? <laughs> Titania is like, yes. And she's like, you won't beat me. I have before, but then you went to jail. He's <laughs> like, yeah, but it felt good for a moment. It always feels pretty good, Walters. Mixing it up with you is the only time I get to cut loose. And she looks like, are you still are you still married? Do you have an apartment? We have a house. A house, really? That's nice. It's a rental. Still. <laughs> and she, and, Jen, and Titania's like, what is wrong with you, Walters? She's like, I just think if I had what you have, and she's like beating the shit out of her, I wouldn't throw it away. And Titania says, this is really confusing. I feel like you're doing your usual passionizing BS, but I also feel really sorry for you all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> and so are we done here, Mary? Did you get your endorphin hit? 
says, you know the rules. We're not done until one of us can't get up. Maybe we could change the rules. And so it's like, what do you mean? It's like, I mean, change the rules of engagement. What if I didn't incapacitate you? What if I didn't send you to jail? I incapacitate you sometimes. But what if you didn't? The truth <laughs> is, I like fighting you too. You do? Yeah. I mean, there aren't many people that I can hit with a telephone pole without feeling guilty about it. <laughs> so you're suggesting, let's, let's just fight. I'll meet you in a vacant lot or somewhere. We can blow off some steam. You do that for me? It's for me too. So they're like okay. setting up this like little like meet fight club Interesting. <laughs> type situation. She's like, is this a trick? You aren't going to show up with cops as long as you're not wanted by the law. They, to your knowledge. Yes, to my knowledge. All right, <laughs> let's try it. Fight club, you and me. Give me your card. I don't exactly have a card. Are you all right, Walters? Was that really your only suit? <laughs> because I could really have got it. Lend you a few under control. <laughs> all right, well, guess I'll see you around. I've still got your number. So okay. she, goes, she goes and picks up her unbroken clothes and continues her way to work. <laughs> <laughs> and she now works for Mallory Book, best lawyer in New York, former Miss Utah. She was also in the show. Her, yes. And she yeah. was her rival in the comics, uh, her okay. um, law rival in the comics. Yeah. And Jen's like, again, I really appreciate it. It's like, don't. Listen, <laughs> the only... The only reason why I hired you is so I don't have to fight you in the court. <laughs> so, okay, there's don't don't thank me. <laughs> but so her only rule is no supers. Okay, like, whoever whoever your clients are, make sure they're regular people. <laughs> and then she goes and meets with Janet Van Dyne, Wasp, and Janet's like, "Hey, so happy to let you use this old apartment because in the past." Jen has stayed at this apartment for a few months when she was doing another reinvention of herself. And Jen was just like, Janet, seriously, thank you so much. She's like, honestly, it's not even a problem. Honestly, I kind of forgot that I had this apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't touched it since last time you were here. So I'm pretty sure some of your old clothes are in the, in the closet. <laughs> so, you know, do what you must. <laughs> She's like, seriously, seriously, this is amazing. It's like, no, honestly, like, if you need anything, let me know. Do you want some like money? She's like, no. I'm like, okay. If you do, let me know. For those who don't know, Jana Van Dyne, the Wasp, is yeah. a successful fashion designer. Right. In the comics. Yeah. She is, she's she's not one to shy away from super heroics, but yeah. she basically spends 90% of her time doing fashion <laughs> designer stuff. She is, she's well off. Yeah. Which is awesome. I'm so glad she has that arc. Yeah. As the victim of domestic abuse yes. to, to Hank Pym for the longest time. That was like her primary defining trait. Right. Yeah. So she's like, hey, you know, you need anything, you let me know. I'm out. And she's like, cool. And so Jen is, it's a huge apartment. Like this is the living room. And wow. Yeah. Yeah. And she's got a giant walk-in closet and she's like, please, 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 please. And she sees all of her old clothes yeah. are still in this giant walk-in closet. So she's super excited. She celebrates by hulking up in her suit and tears it up. And she goes and takes, takes a nice hot bath. And then she hears a crash in her apartment. And she's like, no, what, what is this? What is this? She runs out and Jonathan Hart, the Jack of Hearts. Okay. Shows up. So this is what you have been talking about. Yeah. They don't get too far into this story. <laughs> okay. 
So, but the main, so the main story here is Jen and Jack of Hearts trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm not going to, basically that's the first issue and I don't really need to go issue by issue anymore, but yeah, Jack doesn't remember anything. Sure. He, oh, I should also say Jack's parents, his mom is from Contraxia. Okay. So she is an alien and fans of the MCU know Contraxia as the planet where people go to let loose a little bit. Okay. (laughs) I what don't was that honestly. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, Guardians. Oh, okay. I don't know what Contraxia is known for in the comics, but yeah, no, it is what it is. Anyway, so she's from Contraxia. His dad is a scientist, and he was experimenting with zero energy or zero fluid, and experiments and pseudoscience being what they are. <laughs> Jack gets exposed or something, and turns into this zero energy being that just continually radiates radiation Great. or emanates radiation. He can also absorb want. radiation. Yeah. He can channel that into like shots and like energy blasts. And yeah. he visually, his right side is normal and his left side is all black. Yeah. And then if you look up a picture of him, he has a red heart on his eye, like Shatterstar's star <laughs> over his eye or Longshot's star. Yeah. Through this comic, we find that he did that with makeup because he thought it looked aesthetic. (laughs) Um, And the suit that he wears is a containment suit, even though it doesn't cover his entire body. But it's a containment suit that helps contain his radiation. The last thing he remembers from being alive is when he and Jen were both on the Avengers and Jack was told to get Jen away from something. And so he's carrying her and flying her away. And in the middle of doing that, he starts absorbing her gamma radiation. And she starts to turn back into Jen and mm-hmm. starts to kill her, yada, yada. And so he's like, holy crap, I got I to gotta let you go. And so he like, he just remembers trying to protect Jen and failing. Because he's he's like her pain. So, and then he remembers going into outer space and exploding. And that was the death of Jack of Hearts. Right. So that's his, that's the last thing he remembers. Also, because he's zero point energy, he doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to drink. He doesn't need to breathe. So he can just go and just be anywhere, everywhere, all the time. Jen, Jen's last reference for Jack of Hearts is right. when Wanda during Avengers during Disassembled. Avengers Disassembled. Yeah, yeah. Wanda reanimated him or brought him back, brought him to the Avengers mansion. Scott Lang found him and was like, wait, Jack? And Jack says, I'm sorry. And then he explodes, killing Scott Lang right. and Jen hulking out. This is the first one of the first times we saw Jen really let loose asking what the hell is happening. Because yeah. it's implied that she and Jack we're close. Okay. I don't know if they were ever together because Jack hasn't had a whole lot of screen time and I don't think he ever <laughs> had his uh, radiation stuff under control. So okay. I don't think they would have had actual relations, but I think there was like the sure. attraction. Okay. Because they're definitely just friends in this, but there seems to be a budding potential romance going on. Okay. Yeah. But it's through the story. It is completely framed around. Let's try to help Jack figure out this whole being alive thing. 
Interesting. <laughs> okay. And so she like offers him a glass of water. He's like, do you want some water? And she, he's like, I don't drink. And then he drinks it. He's like, holy shit, I'm really thirsty. And just downs <laughs> a shit ton okay. of water. And then she does the same thing. And she's like, you got to try, you got to try uh, pizza. And she gets him a thick, she gets him a thick, a thick crust pizza. And she's like, don't tell anyone in New York that I got you a thick crust pizza, please. And he's like, I don't know why he got this. I don't eat. Takes a bite and just devours. And she's like, what was, and, and cause she was like, when's the last time you ate? And he's, and he goes, Bush was president. (laughs) So, which is a genius pick because that can be. Yeah. 16 of any of, <laughs> of any span of years. So I guess 12, the, the but daddy Bush only had one term, but yes. Oh, we only had one. Oh, okay. 12 years. Yeah. But at two different, two very different time frames, it's true. Uh, time periods. Oh, and she's like, do you want to sleep? And he's like, I told you I don't <clears throat> and just passes out okay. on the couch. So like just figuring things out. So that's kind of that story. And he's like, his powers don't really work. He can't summon the power to fly. He can't uh, shoot his like death beams anymore. Yeah. He's very lost. So she's trying to help him out. And he remembers, she's like, what's one thing you remember from when you got out, when you came back? And I thought you would like this. So he says he remembers a sign that said, do you hear the clank of muskets in the midst of you? And Jen says, Jack, that wasn't a hallucination. That's Brooklyn. <laughs> so okay. after, after 40 minutes on the F train, where almost no one gave Jack a second look, they went to... Yeah, that, that checks there's out. There's a Revolutionary War Memorial. And there's a plaque that says, in the midst of you, not around you. In the midst of you, what a lovely turn of phrase. It's just this, this like plaque just in the middle of seemingly nowhere. Hmm. The two street signs say an encampment very old and pouring about me here on every side. Like, so this is a real life revolutionary war site. I mean, I think so. There's quite a few of them, you know, this is, this is the East coast where, where shit that, where that shit happened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you can, you can walk through prospect park and see, you know, the battle of Brooklyn Mm -hmm. sites and plaques and stuff. Yeah, so they start walking around, and then and then like Brooklyn Bridge is behind them. Nice. So they're walking around your neighborhood, by the way. Yes. And so that is theoretically where he was being held. He only he remembers being held in a tomb, which is weird because just a few weeks ago we read that one book with fucking Silver Surfer and Thanos hopping around into other timelines and oh, yeah. other realities. And Jack of Hearts was like being held captive in a giant tube and then let out. And then he decided, he says he needs to go and like find his way. But then after that, Silver Surfer comes back to 616. So like it was a different universe, Jack of Hearts. But then that happens. And then we get this story where he remembers being trapped in a tube. Like, I don't know. It, yeah. Infinite universes, infinite possibilities. There could be more than one Jack of Hearts trapped in a tube sure. <laughs> in outer space. But sure. Like, but it is what it is. Anyway, so he doesn't remember anything else. So that's kind of that main plot line, which is so far boring to me. <laughs> and like it just it bums me out a little bit because that's 
not what's making me not what you're excited about She-Hulk. It's yeah, it's it's like it's not making me excited about reading what's going on because Jen Jen's laid back nature and just her banter with her friends has yeah. been so much fun so far. And so I just I don't need I, <laughs> I don't care about Jack of Hearts. But also Jack yeah. died before I started reading comics. So like right. maybe there will come a reason <laughs> that I like Jack uh-huh. of Hearts. And it may be from this. So we'll see. Okay. Anyway, the two side plots, one being the fight club, Titania and Jen go to like a uh, uh what is this place called? A construction site. Mm-hmm. And they have their fight. She's having a good time. Titania brought her friend uh, Marsha Rosenberg, Volcana. Hey, Volcana. Oh, Volcana, Volcana. Skeeter, Volcana, whatever. So Titania's nickname is Skeeter. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And then, yeah, Vol- Titania's best friend since forever, another doomed up tough lady. Oh, yeah. Also, Titania also- got her powers from Dr. Doom, and so did Volcana. Yes, yes. During, uh, during Secret War. The first one. Yeah. Got her powers from Dr. Doom, who pretty much immediately forgot about her. <laughs> yep. It was very silly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they've made their own name. <laughs> and and Volcana is married to Molecule Man. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I they just, they, they're both immensely powerful, and all they really want to do is just hang out and watch TV and like, TV dinners and stuff and just hang out, yeah. hang out about the house. Dude, I can't wait to jump into this molecule man stuff <laughs> for uh secret wars and Hickman stuff. It's coming up. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. When oh. in, in the uh for your reading on on your stream, you mean? Yeah, on Twitch. Yeah, yeah. So they're having their fight club and Jen's like, why did you bring Volcana? She's like, Well, I didn't know if you're gonna show up with backup or not. Because okay. this is a weird situation we have going on. And Volcano wants in. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so the two of them are fighting. And then Ben shows up. And he's like, Jen, I got you. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> and so now, so Ben expresses his displeasement that Jen didn't invite him to the fight club. Uh-huh. So I feel like this is going to get, get yeah. a little out of hand. But I think it's going to create some of the most fun little like side conversations okay cool so i'm super excited for that yeah but jen or ben was trying to hire jen to help her or help him with something to deal with lockjaw because i guess lockjaw bit another dog and so (laughs) okay and, and no one can get a hold of black bolt and I guess he was the, I guess Lockjaw was with the Fantastic Four at the time. And so sure. Ben's trying to get out of it. And Jen's like, <laughs> the case is really racked up against you. And uh, <laughs> and this is not something you can really just, you can't really dismiss this. And he's like, come on, come on. <laughs> but that leads into the second side plot of her working at, working for Book. Book has hired, God, what is his name? Awesome Andy. Former minion of the Mad Thinker, kick butt office assistant, an old friend. You may recognize him as just a giant gray golem robot with a block for a head. Interesting. Cool. He's a, he's a he's a robot, and yeah, he Mad Thinker or oh, he wait. left Mad Thinker. Okay, yeah, but Mad Thinker took him back and undid all of his like self 
awareness um, programming and removed his free will. Okay. Mallory, I guess, found him and rebooted him from a backup. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. so now he's helpful again. Anyway, he can't speak. He doesn't even have a face. And so he, ha- he has this chalkboard hanging on a necklace and that's how he <laughs> communicates. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so she's the, so awesome. Andy is the office assistant. Jen. She Hulk is one of the employees there. Book saying she doesn't want <laughs> doesn't want supers is asking for supers. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so anyway, a bunch of supers find out that Jen is practicing again, and they're all waiting in the lobby. Nightcrawler, Karnak, <laughs> Mister Fantastic, Shang Chi, Sam Alexander Nova, Wong, Spider Woman, Moon Knight, and Wonders. Falcon. <laughs> okay, all show up, and they're just like, hey. Uh, I have a case (laughs) and she has to shove them all into her office. And she's like, listen, (laughs) book is not a fan of supers being here. So I can take your cases, but you have to be discreet. Yeah. And moon moon Knight's like, we can be discreet. And she's like, can you, (laughs) can you truly be discreet? (laughs) So anyway, they, they all, you know, talk their cases and then they head out. And, um, Jen pulls Reed aside and he's like, Hey, like, can I meet up with you later to do like a radiation scanner scan just to make sure that like my radiation is good? Because I don't want to tell you why, but I've been hanging out with Jack of Hearts, Jack of Hearts. So, okay. Like, oh, yeah, I've got one in my pocket. (laughs) We can just do it right now. And she's like, Why do you have a radiation scanner in your pocket? He's like, (laughs) You know, when when you're when you and your family have been bombarded by cosmic radiation, <laughs> it makes sense to just keep one in your pocket. <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, good call." And so reads her. She's perfectly irradiated, okay. more than any normal human person should have. Yeah. And uh, so she's reading fine. And he's like, "Here, you can keep it. I always carry a spare." <laughs> <laughs> so so Jen goes. And shows Jack, hey, look, I'm reading fine. Hey, look, you're not reading much. Just some facts of life. Yeah. So other than that, oh, we found out that Jack of Hearts um, majored in poetry in college. Huh. Right on. <laughs> fellow, fellow creative writing major. Mm-hmm. Nice. The last issue, when they are tracking, when they're in Brooklyn tracking down this memory, mm-hmm. this big guy says jack of hearts jack 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 and he starts lumbering towards jack and she hulk and she hulk's like is that do you know him he's like i have no idea who she is and the guy's just like raving just like jack of hearts stole the tarts and he's huge um like juggernaut size but in like regular street clothes yeah he keeps on saying like these rhymes jack of hearts stole the tarts jack of hearts stole the tarts Anytime Jen gets in the way, he says, out of my way, green. And then he just keeps on screaming, jack of hearts, jack of hearts. He stole the tarts. And then this other tiny little woman shows up and she's like, don't hurt him. He's confused. He doesn't know what he's doing. Okay. And he's like, April? And she's like, don't worry. He's like, jack of hearts, April. <laughs> he stole the tarts. He stole the tarts. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's, and then he says, what happened next? He took them away. He he took them clean away. Then what happened? The King of Hearts, he called for the tarts. And then he starts repeating that. The King of Hearts, the King of Hearts, called for the tarts, called for tarts. And then they just kind of disappear. Okay. And Was this yeah. to imply that this person has actually nothing to do with Jack of Hearts, the character? Is this just his preoccupation like with it. this? Okay. 
Yeah. Interesting. And Jen's like, wait, why you, you're just leaving? <laughs> no, 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 no. And, she, and, and April turns, but turns back and says, not every superhuman is as super as you just let us be. Yeah. And then they walk off into the distance. Jack and Jen go and have dinner together. And in this last scene, it seems like, oh, will they, won't they thing is starting to like appear. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last page is a few days later, Jen sitting at a park and you see that big guy and April and he says, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick. What happens next, April? Jack, jump over the candlestick. And this other lady sitting on the bench is like, you don't have to worry about him. He won't bother your kids. And she said, and Jen says, do you know them? She's like, no, but they're in the park most days. She never lets them out of her sight. Is she his caretaker? I suppose so. She's his wife. <laughs> and it has them just like on the outside of a playground and says to be continued. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, if that whole part is part of the Jack of Hearts storyline stuff, it hasn't pulled me in yet. But what's keeping me here is the fight club and the agency. So like sprinkle those in, continue to give me those rainbow (laughs) until you get me a a main plot line that is intriguing and I'll be happy. (laughs) Okay. Black Panther Legends was four issues. The first issue uh, was T'Challa as a child. And I kind of feel like this existed to just introduce this kid, Hunter. Okay. Hunter is T'Challa's adoptive brother. Okay. T'Chaka and Ramonda adopted him when his parents were killed just outside the walls of Wakanda. Okay. And he's white. Okay. They talk about it real quick. Uh, Hunter was a baby when I adopted him almost 15 years ago after the death of his parents at our northern border. He is not, is he not the outside world? And yet no child loves this country more than he. So, yeah. So he's this little white kid. His name's Hunter. This is, uh, also, this is reminding mm-hmm. me. Sorry. This is a total tangent. Rachel and I went to a um, corn maze, you know, like one of oh. those, uh, you know, a, a maze nice fall activity mm-hmm. you know because it's in new york city there's lots of people at this corn maze obviously just milling about and it's a big old big old thing uh it's a good time and whenever somebody would get to the end they could do like a shout out you know there's like music going on and mm-hmm. whenever somebody gets to the end they can do a shout out over the pa and we got at one point you know over the over the mic we hear like a the shout out going on like hey who who hears from uh from queens make some noise you know it's in queens so that was most people who hears from brooklyn who's here from manhattan who's here from the bronx and then they forgot staten island <laughs> and they shouted out wakanda instead they're like who hears from wakanda wakanda forever <laughs> Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you'd appreciate that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Also, I didn't know that Ramonda is from South Africa. Mm. T'Challa's mother. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, not at all. But anyway, so we find out in this first issue that every year Ramonda goes back to South Africa to visit her parents' grave as like a check-in kind of thing. Yeah. So this year... The whole family's going. <laughs> T'Challa okay. and Hunter and T'Chaka are going to go with her. Okay. 
And so they go to South Africa and it is in the height of apartheid. Mm. And so you see these scenes where like Hunter has to, has to go through like the Europeans only. Yeah. It's like a very, it's like reverse racism stuff. So like he gets separated from the family. He has to stay in a different hotel room. Right. And that and like there's like signs everywhere, like in his hotel room says, This is this room is for Europeans only. Please contact reception for clarity on apartheid laws and yeah. stuff like that. T'Challa sees this kid getting bullied, and so he hops in and tries to stop them. Hunter hops in to help him out. In the scuffle, his Kimoyo bead bracelet falls off. Okay. Which is not that important, but a UN delegation uh, heads down is going to Wakanda because T'Chaka is exploring what Wakanda can do for the world. And basically he wants to finally open the borders. They've been super, you know, separatist and, and solitary. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of Wakanda's thing. Yeah. Very isolationist. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this will be the first U.S. Delegate, UN delegation to cross the border. And uh, one of the members of this delegation turns out to be Mr. Klau. K-L-A-U-W. Oh, yes. A, yeah, A-U-E, sorry. A-K, Mr. Ulysses Claw. Yeah. Okay. So the delegation meets. Claw has the Kimoyo bead bracelet. Ah. And... T'Chaka's like, where the hell did you get that? He's like, oh, someone must have dropped it. Oh, Finders okay. keepers, buddy. And T'Chaka's like, no, that is Wakanda's. You will return it. Delegation goes awry. Claw has reverse engineered some of the Wakandan tech into this wrist gauntlet, sees T'Challa, who was looking in, and he aims at him. T'Chaka gets in the way, gets shot by Claw. One of the guards cuts off Claw's hand, his right hand, sure. and they get rid of him, and T'Chaka has passed away. And then the next issue, we find out that Uncle Sian takes over as the king of Wakanda and encourages T'Challa to continue his journey to become the king and the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And so we go to the Serengeti three years later. Uh, where he is learning to live on his own. Stuff gets stolen by a group of migrant people. T'Challa gets involved. Things start to get out of hand. And then he meets Aurora Monroe. Hey. And she is the leader of the little ragtag group. And they meet and takes him, takes T'Challa back to the village that they're from. T'Challa, within three weeks, helps improve their little village gives them better housing fixes their well and aurora's like you've done a lot these last three weeks he's like imagine what i could do in three months and a month passes uh aurora and t'challa are getting closer and aurora asks things like uh there are rumors about wakanda are they all true like Mm -hmm. do you guys do you guys talk to animals do you have flying cars there's rumors of living ghosts that are there, this, that, and the other. Then down the line, Shuri finally gets a transmission signal to to, to T'Challa's Kamoyo beads. And so there's this hologram comes up and is talking to him. And then Aurora sees and he says, so the talking, so the talking, the living ghosts are real. 
<laughs> That's crazy. And Shuri tells him that Hunter has come the head, is was put in charge of the Hatut Zaraze, who are the white clad army of special ops for the Black Panther. There's and they're like the males, the, oh, okay. the male ascension for the uh, is the Hatut Zarazi, while the Dora Malaje are the female. Sure, ascension. yeah. Uh, not to mention the other group that. <laughs> so the Hatut Zarazi are the current group that are rebelling against Black Panther in oh, the okay. current timeline. And if we didn't have that from the Midnight Angels, who were the Dora Malaje, who. Uh-huh. who defected literally last writer. It would be a little more novel. And we yeah. talked about that a couple weeks ago. But anyway, so Hunter's the head of the Hatutsurazi. And then Aurora and T'Challa say they must continue their own paths. And T'Challa goes back to Wakanda. And that is the first time that T'Challa and Aurora met. T'Challa comes back. And every five years, there's that ceremony to... Each tribe can have their champion fight to become the new king of Wakanda. Right. Tribes are going, and then T'Challa shows up and wins the tournament. So he wins the fight to the right to fight Uncle Sion. He defeats Sion and becomes the king and Black Panther. And that's that issue. And then the fourth issue is the introduction, the Wakanda, Wakandan's point of view of when they first met. The Fantastic Four. Oh, cool. And Hunter wants Wakanda to close its borders. T'Challa wants to continue T'Chaka's ideas of helping the world around us. Hunter's point of view is that by opening the borders is what got T'Chaka killed. Mm, And so that was a huge mistake. So let's not do that. And so Hunter says he's going to go and find Father's Killer and invoke Wakandan justice on him. And so he leaves. And all of a sudden, Fantastic Four show up in a Wakandan ship and Shuri stops the ensuing battle saying that she invited them. T'Challa and Reed talk about potential applications of a blend of like vibranium and unstable molecules or the the potential of a liquid vibranium and what she could do with that. Uh-huh. Just like really kind of fun off the wall. Yeah. Only happened in Marvel conversations. <laughs> totally. And then guess who attacks, but a claw with a new hand that creates these like red sound creatures that yep. everyone has seen before. Claw is back. He's since had the accident that turned him into living sound, et cetera, et cetera. So he's still a person, but he uh, just has a replaced hand gauntlet that makes these sounds. Uh, and okay. then in this battle, the fight ends at the foot of a lab that T'Challa didn't know about. And then an explosion goes off and supposedly kills Claw. But mm. that's the explosion with the sound stuff that right. ends up creating the living sound Claw that we all know and love today. So while he passes away there, T'Challa goes and finds Hunter in Mo in Mohanda. Okay. And says, Hey, listen, I killed our, our father's killer is dead. Have I proven to you that I am I can be a king? 
And he says, one last test. Let's do a race because that's what they used to do as children. Okay. And so for to the best of my knowledge, Hunter is still alive. And so if we see Hunter in current Black Panther, then yeah. I'll know this is canon. <laughs> <laughs> but because that's the only reason I can think that this exists. Other than, you know, let's explore the retell the Black origin Panther. story. Yeah. Yeah. The the smaller book format makes me think that this might be like for younger readers and it's like an introduction type thing. I want to think that as well, but the Strange Academy is in these small books also. Oh, interesting. And that's very canon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. So, yeah, it's just it's as a as a as someone who collects all these comics and puts them on and would love to put them on the shelves, I hate <laughs> I hate the non-normal size books, but it's not a big deal. There is also here, though, at the back of the book, is check out a sneak peek of Into the Heartlands, a Black Panther graphic novel. It's written by Roseanne Brown, and this is part of a series of much more kid-friendly introductions to titles. Yeah. And they are specifically more of the minority titles. Yeah, specifically saying like, so, I mean, there's Spider-Ham. So Spider-Ham, Hollywood Mayhem, Into the Heartlands, Miles Morales Shockwaves, Miss Marvel Stretched Thin, and Captain America, The Ghost Army. Interesting. And those are the like five titles that have just a different kind of more cartoony art. Yeah. That I believe are what you're referring to. Yeah. But so an introduction to that isn't like a teaser of there's like 15 pages of the Black Panther one is here. And that is very much its own thing for sure. But so, yeah. And then it's the, the last little stinger of the, of the main story is, but back in Wakanda, the legend begins and it has the hand of claw coming out of the rubble. Yes. So, so yeah, I don't know. Black Panther legends. It's, The, if you look at the spine, it specifically says Black Panther Legends. Yeah. But the way that the t- the cover is shown, it's like there's a Legends run and oh, then Black yeah. Panther. Like so I'm wondering get, if we're going to yeah. get other... Like I wonder if it's going to be its own little anthology type yeah. series of different Legends books. Interesting. They did this before. I think it was called Firsts or Volume mm. 1 or something. Okay. And it was like a modern one-shot not one shot, but a modern re- one issue each retelling of different Marvel titles. Yeah. The one that stands out in my head is X-Men. And in this one, it was it was the normal first class and all that. Mm-hmm. But for the training in the danger room, Xavier had them reenacting different famous war battles. Huh. And so like Angel is, you know, whatever Air Force battalion was at the time uh iceman was that was a navy ship battalion and so like he gave each member a role and in the danger room they would play out these different battles and that was super interesting to me and it's but it made it like it made it partially a history lesson but then also really showed the like soldier mentality that Mm. xavier has ended up (laughs) <laughs> turning his X-Men into. <laughs> right, yeah. Let's just get these small children and make them into a paramilitary force. 
Yeah. And so that was just super interesting to me. But there, that was one issue of five, and there's two volumes of this. Yeah. So it, it makes me wonder if they're going to do something like that with this Legends series, if it's a series. I don't know. It's yeah. all over the place. <laughs> cool. But yeah, it was this, this was a fun week. And awesome. as fun as this week was, I'm really stoked for next week. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this this is just a good time to be a six one six reader, I guess. Hell yes. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, then the rest is these four issues of Sandman, which we'll cover after we talk about at Gray and Summers and Wilson. Yes. So, yeah, switching gears over here to X-Man. You know, my absolute favorite title. The greatest title of 1999 Marvel Comics. Oh, boy. It's it's everything. It's mid to, like, early to mid-90s, right? You you have, like, the, the Jim Lee, everything, you know, everything's being torn down from Chris Claremont long continuity to just be, you know, packaged for the, for the Saturday morning TV show. That's fine. Whatever. Mid to late nineties is just like, we just took the color from the Saturday, Saturday morning cartoon and hooked off everything else. And it's just bright colors. And that's really all, all you, all you can really say. Anyway, last issue, X-Man, we last saw him right in, in the last run. He was up in Alaska with Scott and Gene. There was a, some sort of like weird incursion of Age of Apocalypse into 616, made this base, and, and he and Scott and Gene uh, had this whole plot, which really basically only served to get Nate a new costume. He's wearing... Uh, Scott's uh, X Factor costume now the the blue jumpsuit with the white X across from shoulders to thighs. That was not a good look. <laughs> I didn't like that costume. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not very good at all. And this is all kind of happening concurrent with Astonishing X Men when Nate joined up with that team. It's not really clear when each happens, but. You know, whatever. We'll just we'll just give him a pass on that. So yeah. So last we saw him in Alaska. Now we open up on Grayville, this suburban idol kind of like you know he's he lives with his parents who are Age of Apocalypse Forge and Six One Six Gene, and he's out on a double date to the drive-in with Threnody, Spidey, uh, Spider-Man, and Maddie, Madeline Pryor. They're attacked by this thing called the sludge that ate Secaucus. That's really the name? Yeah. Well, it turns out... It's like out, a pimp named Sl- Slapback. Slickback? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's... Uh, it's sorry, that's that's its nickname. It is Echo, the sludge that swallowed Secaucus. Oh, okay. But it all... You know, there's there's all sorts of like weird things going on. You're like, what? This... this is obviously not real. Turns out it's all an illusion. You know, it must have been the purple man. He was messing with me before. No, wait, it's 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 Mysterio. Apparently at this point in continuity, Mysterio has real mental illusion and hypnosis powers, not just using uh, you know, projections and stuff. He's developed this whole illusion slash fantasy world for Nate. <laughs> 
basically trying to control him uh, while he uses manipulating him into two things. One, using his powers. It's been going on for like a week. And the whole time, he's been exploiting Nate's powers to do petty crimes, like dropping a satellite from space onto a bank in order to rob a single ruby bracelet. What? <laughs> <laughs> you... There's there's this like wow there's this like radio you know like news radio going in Grayville that uh, that Forge and Gene are listening to of course they're both illusions but or actors rather with illusions projected on them and it's like um, breaking news about the satellite that crashed into a Seattle savings bank at nine twelve last night confirmed that no lives were lost due to the late hour the massive vault said to have taken the brunt of the impact and initial reports suggest that the infamous ruby rosarios are among the missing valuables and gene's like oh not our problem let's turn that off don't worry about it and then later we see mysterio with the with the bracelet in his hand and so when he was fighting the sludge that that uh swallowed sakakis he like slammed the the drive-in screen on the sludge and that he was thinking he was doing that but really he grabbed a satellite from space <laughs> and dropped it on a bank so that mysterio could steal one bracelet i mean it's impressive that's like it's just like <laughs> One. That's like blowing up a bridge so you could cause a traffic jam so your ex runs out of gas on the, in like their car. Right. It's, <laughs> it's like, okay, outrageous overkill in terms of like what you would need to do to steal a bracelet. Also, you broke open an entire bank and you took one bracelet. Also, also, you have the power to drop satellites from the sky and all you want to do with it is... <laughs> Rob a bank. Oh man. And the That's other, amazing. It's hilarious. Uh the That's other thing wild. that he's trying to do with all of these projections is to get some sort of clue as to Spider-Man's identity. And Nate won't give up anything, even in this state. It's like, God damn it. At one point, like Nate thinks that he killed the actor playing Purple Man and has this huge freak out. He's like, this is what happens when I get out of control. It's the main thing that I was always afraid of, blah, 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 blah. Just, you know, him needing to be emo for a little bit. Eventually, he snaps out of it, and he and Mysterio have their big battle. Mysterio's hypnosis powers trigger something so that Nate gets his telepathy back. Because remember, Cywar... It is <laughs> just like they they really had something going. We're like, okay, we're going to turn off telepathy worldwide. It's going to be a status quo change. And then within a month, some characters started getting it back. Why some different characters at different times? Who knows? <laughs> so now they're like, okay, fine. We, we can, we can give it back to Nate. It's, it's ridiculous. And he he grabs like the actor who was playing Threnody and busts out. Oh, and oh wait, that wasn't an actor playing Threnody. It was really Threnody in there for some reason. And so he busts out, her out. He passes out as soon as they get outside. Turns out they're in Seattle. She isn't pregnant anymore, as she has been for a while. But she is being chased by a, a giant army of zombies. Okay. <laughs> and so, if you remember 
<laughs> they have nearly met. Well, okay. This oh, is yeah. This is issue fifty-seven, and they, they have oh, to keep on like not meeting. Yeah, they they meet up at the end, at very end of fifty-seven. They haven't seen each other since I want to say like twenty-three. Madeline, you know, killed Thranity kind of in issue twenty-five, and they didn't know. And he's going off doing his things. Every couple issues, he's like, I wonder what Threnody's up to. Should really go see her. And then, like, forgets immediately. And then, starting around 10 issues or so, she would just randomly show up where he was. Just like, he, you know, he's in uh, Ireland. And she's like, hey, Nate. Like, right as he leaves. And then he's in Alaska. And she's like, hey, Nate. Right as he leaves. And so she finally caught up to him in in Seattle, I guess. And so she kind of, you know, they finally are face to face. She reveals to Nate that it was Maddie who killed her, but her death energy powers kicked in and brought her back to life. Her own death activated her powers and gave her body the energy to keep living, essentially. And... Her, like, addiction to death is making her drain the death energy from people, including, like, she went to a a terminal ward at a hospital and just killed everyone in it. Oh. Like, well, all of the, like, terminal patients, right? Right. Yeah. So Nate's, like, uh, takes her to a a boat to detox. And apparently this is why the zombies are chasing her or something. That doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, whatever. And it works, gets gets rid of the zombie problem, but she reveals that, you know, she feeds off of him, (laughs) off of Nate, because his powers are killing him. And he's just like, and he's like, I love you. I don't care that you're killing me. And she's like, I am only using you to get high. And now I'm, I got to go later. It seems like it was probably a lie. It might have been the only way to stop him from following her around. But also she's been just like completely villain coded for the last 30 mm-hmm. issues. So who even knows? And then we see her creepy zombie baby as because remember, she wasn't pregnant anymore. And so, yeah, after she she gives Nate the slip and leaves, she goes, grabs a, a creepy little growling thing swaddled up in a green cloth so there we go okay that is heavily implied to be nate's kid by the way in fact almost certainly is that would be interesting it apparently i think you might have read it it, there's a storyline published in during the time of your reading that deadpool killed the zombie baby okay does this sound familiar Dude. Killed Threnody, maybe, also. There was a time when Deadpool was the title. Yeah. He had, like, five ongoing titles at one time. Right. Yeah, they were just trying to... Like, the joke was, how how much Deadpool can we possibly (laughs) publish? Yeah. So, the stories kind of run together. So, (laughs) sure, maybe, I believe it. (laughs) Well, I will say this. 
This seems like it ought to be like a dangling plot thread that would keep going in X-Men, right? Like she's back, (laughs) but we don't know if she was like lying. And there's this kid who's probably his kid. And like, she's been a major character for the entire run, except that she was completely sidelined for the last 30 issues, except for creeping about in the shadows, whatever. Right. Like she's Mm -hmm. finally back and they can finally like, have it out for to to do to finish off this plot line proper. She would only appear in five more issues ever. And they were Threnody? Threnody. And wow. they were Deadpool Assassin issues two through six. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and oh, the kid would no. only appear in one more issue. And it was an issue of Deadpool Assassin in which the kid was killed. Wow. You'd think that they would, if there was a child of Nate freaking Gray, that this would be interesting to, like, a lot of people. Yeah. And apparently it's not. Just completely ignored. Dude. So, side, semi-side tangent. I spent a bunch of time on Twitch going through my entire comic book collection and cataloging it on this uh, site called Library Thing. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it many times. I just looked. I have 92 Deadpool books. <laughs> None of them are Deadpool Assassin. Wow. I'm buying this right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, please read it on the pod and tell me tell me what happened to Threnody. I'll tell you exactly how this goes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be in uh, two episodes. You heard it here first, folks. That'll be my 93rd Deadpool book. (laughs) Only, God, only like five of them are not 616. (laughs) Yeah, he really gets around. Speaking of Deadpool, I've got, you know what? Why don't I, since we're on the subject, why don't I jump ahead to Deadpool right now and come back for Cable? (laughs) There's no reason one way or the other. Because this this is an interesting spot for Deadpool because the last story arc concluded the original uh, the run of the original writer on the Deadpool series. Okay. Joe Kelly is out and we have Christopher Priest aka Priest coming in in his place. They lampshade this like crazy uh, at the opening shot Deadpool is pulling a little red wagon with a bag in it read it that has written on it everything that worked about this series and he grabs it and throws it, <laughs> throws it away. <laughs> He's okay. talking with somebody who's like Slade. No, because you know Slade Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Dead oh show. no. He's like Blade. <laughs> no. Um, Mark Wade. I loved your run on Astro City. Damn. <laughs> so they're really. This is a yeah. Priests. It's a new tone. You know, it's sillier, less sarcastic, less like edgy. But still, like, you know, goofy topical references about he goes to a like a trailer park later and and Wade's like, what are we doing here? Looking for Bill Clinton's next hookup or something? (laughs) So (laughs) things like that. Yeah. The introduction of this side of Deadpool. (laughs) That's kind of where the tone is. Yeah. Got you. So there's like a dream sequence and and Wade ends up wakes up in the uh, the land of canceled heroes where every 
main character of every book that Christopher Priest has ever written ends up. There's, you know, Moon Knight is here, Kazar is here, Luke Cage says sweet Rosh Hashanah, and Iron Fist is wearing his regular costume, but in Deadpool colors. So it's all very silly. Anyway, he wakes up for real in a generic science tube, like you do, like a healing tank kind of thing. And he's told that the cells of his body can no longer cohere enough to hold the shape of his body together. And that's why he's in this tube. So naturally, he starts calling himself Snot Man. He's like, well, why aren't I dead? And he's being held by this scientist guy. He's like, why aren't I dead then? He's like, well, look at the tank next to you. And there's death in there. Uh. (laughs) So he's kind of going through this whole thing. And he has these flashbacks to more like backstory with him and Bullseye and Kingpin, where like he was doing assassination jobs for Kingpin. And then Bullseye jumped in and kind of because he could do operate with fewer moral compunctions, took the job from him. And, you know, fun stuff like killing a mall Santa, sent to kill a nun, takes a, takes a job as a hobgoblin decoy, takes a job with the wizard to join his new Frightful Four alongside Taskmaster and Constrictor. They attack the Baxter building, kidnap Franklin. Wade realizes he has a moral code. And he's, uh, oh yeah, so he's, he was on the job to kill the, the nun. He was up at the top of the Golden Gate Bridge. And this mysterious person in a trench coat flies in and says, like, I like the way you work. Meet me at the, you know, warehouse uh, C-17 on Pier 20 and meets up with him later. And he's like, I was where he's like, where have you been? I was where you said to go. Warehouse C-20 on Pier 17. (laughs) No, no, no. C-17 on Pier 20. Look. And he holds out a map. He's like, even a child could find his way to the right place. And along this map, you have Hobgoblin Decoy Recruitment Center, Mysterio's Hideout, Taskmaster's Secret Villain Academy, Mandarin's Ring Storage, Hydra Regional Office, Electro's Lair, and Stargate to Dormammu's Realm, all in the same (laughs) little pier structure. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah, it was a a good gag. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he says... During the middle of it, like, it's been years since I even knew my new name, which is some, you know, kind of a throw forward that maybe the whole thing with T-Ray, where T-Ray was the real Wade was, uh, Wilson, mm. might actually be true. This is all ignored eventually, so <laughs> whatever. Also, in the letter column at the end of the issue, Deadpool jumps in to to answer some of the letters himself. Oh, wow. Fun. Yeah, but anyway, so he breaks out or he gets out of the the science tube and he basically he he cracks open death's tube as well, breaks free, goes outside and he's like, "All right, now we're you know, finally able to get out of here." And he looks up and he sees Earth from space. It's like, okay. you know, a lot of things are really checking out like how could this random scientist dude just kidnap cosmic constant in in the form of death right. and just put it in a tube. And so it, the scientist turns out to be Loki. And Wade's been going through some flashbacks also in this issue about like, you know, his family and he was an edgy 
teen and, and didn't know, didn't ever know his dad and his mom was abusive and all this stuff. And so Loki's like, I am your father. And Deadpool's like, you know, I don't believe you. <laughs> this is all ridiculous, but you gave me your headdress with the cool horns on it and stuff. So I'll, I'll go along with what you're saying. Cause the hat's cool. Wow. And he keeps saying like none of the, it, or they, everyone kind of keeps saying Loki says it. He says it. Uh, Deadpool says it later. None of this is really happening. There is a man with a typewriter. So just everyone being aware of their status as fictional characters. Anyway, the whole thing that Loki is doing this all for, and by the way, as long as Deadpool wears a suit, then his body will be able to hold itself together. So whatever. So he, Loki basically sets Wade up to uh, get the drop on Thor at the Chrysler building, separates him from Mjolnir for 60 seconds, which is apparently enough to revert Thor to Donald Blake form at this time. And then he goes to lift it and he succeeds and becomes a Thor. And he has lots of fun flying around and, you know, doing Thor speak and forsoothith and stuff like that. He goes and does a test your strength game with his own hammer. He goes and beats up Michael Jackson at Neverland Ranch, you know, just random stuff. Finally, he and Loki kidnap Donald Blake and put him, put him, in, put him in the science tube. And he gets in an argument with Loki and, you know, over whether or not he's really his father and does the duck season, wabbit season thing. And he's like, aha, I knew it. You, <laughs> you know, are not, you are not my father. And, you know, it was all a ruse, like Loki gave him a fake hammer, put illusions on everything to make, you know, him and, and Blake think that this was actually going on and, you know, blah, blah, climactic battle. Everything goes back to normal, but, Loki curses Deadpool and says that his life will fall into ruins unless he seeks his father's forgiveness or until he seeks his father's forgiveness. And so Deadpool's like, whatever, goes home, takes off his mask, and he is completely unscarred. Hmm. Full head of hair, whole nine yards, good looking guy. And that's the cliffhanger it ends on. So we'll see ah. where it goes from there. Yeah, just an uh, interesting. I mean, it. I think it kind of speaks to like he could have very this. This series could have very well been canceled, right? Like new character, or at least first ongoing title, first run after the initial writer leaves. Like this is kind of an, it's a uh, big test. Yeah, like a crucial yeah test for uh, to see if this character has legs and will stick around. And as we know, it did. I found out I was wrong. I do have Deadpool's ass. Ah. <laughs> it is one of the 92 books. Wow. It's in box M5. Um, <laughs> all six issues. You know why I think I don't remember it? Why? Well, one, because it's one of 2,000 books I've read. But also. Sure. Puts things in perspective. I don't. Point zero. I didn't know who Threnody was until oh. we started this pod. That makes sense. 
Yeah. That is, as you have pointed out, the only time I've ever read Trinity. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I have zero frame of reference for the significance that makes sense. of a Threnody and her baby. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's probably why. Fair enough. 14 people on library thing have Deadpool Assassin. Yeah. Sounds like a real banger. Mm-hmm. It is number 1,280,583 of most popular books. Everything. <laughs> <My God. laughs> Not even in the top million. Okay. Cable. So he's down and he goes down in the Morlock tunnels because he's been getting some sort of signs that something wants him to go down there. He's like, all right, I'll bite. And he runs into post. Oh, yeah. Dumb as a post. Dumb as a post. <laughs> Big blue guy covered in sort of like loading rocks. what look like rocks, but are actually like techno organic, like plate armors that he can turn into cool, like tech weapons and sensors and stuff. Hmm. Anyway, apparently Post was like recently, and by recently I mean like literally in an issue published the previous month was ru- was running with Mystique and the Brotherhood and fought against machine man Aaron Stack but you know whatever now he's now he's down in the Morlock tunnels he's down on his dumps Cable's telepathy is also coming back so it's already like Cywar never happened Cable and Post have previously been hinted to have a history and in this issue we find out what it was oh, cool. Kevin Tremaine uh, aka Post that's Post's real name he was a CIA operative who was a mutant but he was just big and blue and strong no rocky things. He was a CIA operative that Cable saved from the Mandarin and had to give him a blood fa- transfu- transfusion on his way out, and that gave him the techno-organic virus, but it manifested in post as these sorts of uh, exploitable powers. He also apparently has enhanced analytical acumen, according to the Mandarin. So I guess he's oh. not dumb as a post. It's the exact opposite of dumb <laughs> as a post. <laughs> By the way, dumb as a post was the nickname that Will and I gave this guy, you know, back in way back when 99, when, when he first showed up when, first when we were kids. Him. Yeah. Cause he was the, <laughs> the emissary of onslaught or whatever. And it was supposed to yeah. be this like big deal. And you're like, why would they name him? Post? Why do we care about this guy? <laughs> what the fuck kind of name is that? And it's like, I don't yeah. know. He's dumb as a post. <laughs> so there you go. If you have one reason to remember post, let it be ours. And he may have also been altered by Mandarin some, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, Cable apparently brought post to the X Mansion to Xavier. And this would have been while Cable was a mercenary, which is crazy because all of that time is very well done. Like, you have to dodge a <laughs> lot of mutants with a lot of ways of sensing you. <laughs> Telepathy, yeah. sniffers, whatever, to, mm-hmm. to just have him not. To have this entire history. And he's like, I spent great time there and I came to believe in Xavier's dreams. Like, I don't fucking know when. him. Yeah, when. <laughs> <laughs> this also was before, would have been long before he ever met Charles Xavier on panel. 
Mm. But he did know Moira from when he first came back to 616 time. It was like the first place he went was Mirror Island. So who knows? There may be Mm. something there, but it's still ridiculous. Anyway, apparently he just hung out there until Onslaught manifested and then was swayed over or something. He's like, everything I've ever believed has abandoned me, you know? The CIA, and then Charles Xavier, and then Onslaught. It's like, all right. Okay, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, you, Cable, you're to blame for kill- for saving my life or something, so now I'll kill you. And they fight for a couple pages, and then they stop. Puss, like, you've taught me a great lesson. Thank you. Bye. This was terrible. This is some of the worst writing. There's a guest writer. Oh, no. Okay. And then the next es- issue continues to be terrible writing but also we have rob liefeld return on art with his little butthole mouths and everyone's just kind of like just squinching their mouths (laughs) together like a butthole all the time i my friend called rob liefeld and I'd, i'd read this description before i don't think it was her initial like original description but it's so good Called Rob Liefeld a, a human dick vein. <laughs> just, just, just the vein. Just the vein. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything more perfect. So, yeah, Cable goes to X-Force to tell them to that the 12 event is coming, but that they've been written out of the crossover, essentially. He's like, this fight is coming. I might die. So, Goodbye. Don't follow me into this fight, even though this is the exact reason I started X-Force to train you for exactly this fight. Don't, don't come. You're not part of the crossover. Editorial doesn't want you. (laughs) Nope. He does address this a little bit later. He's like, I treated people like pieces on a chessboard, but I've changed since, changed since then. Like, come on guy. And uh, he, he says to Sam, like, it's good to see you back with X-Force where you belong, even though Cable was the one to, that told to graduate and join the X-Men. That, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, turns out that uh, Caliban, who is now the Horseman to Pestilence, says his second run as a Horseman, he was, he was death right after Archangel was death. And then he reformed and joined X-Force, and then he was snatched back up by Apocalypse about two publication years ago, and was just kind of forgotten. Anyway, he was brought on a boat from Egypt to San Francisco, he's tracking Nathan, he befriends a little kid, the dad pulls a shotgun, kid gets hit by a car, everyone's like, oh my god, mutants are to blame, you know, for being present while it unrelated terrible thing happened it's like video games yes exactly x-force goes to investigate the gunshots there's a bunch of sad speechifying you know you were our friend caliban Uh, no and then they fight and in the middle of it he hears something in his in his head and he's lured to this egyptian museum exhibit by Deathbird, who is revealed to be the horseman war now which I kind of covered on the last pod. Uh, she still seems mostly herself. It doesn't seem like any mind control is happening. She's in full control. She's just crazy. And there's a big fight, and Cable is captured and taken to Egypt, 
And then you, you know, he's in a big, like, bound up in, like, chains or whatever. And Apocalypse is like, ha-ha, 11 more to go. Okay. (laughs) And then the world. So, Cable was interesting for a while. (laughs) (laughs) But then they changed creative teams because they needed to do the twelve. And here we are. Yeah, so I'm probably, well, I'll, I'll get to it later, but they're really doing a lot to foreshadow this 12. They're really, yeah. you know, just like making sure you know it's coming. And I've got one or two more weeks before I read it on the pod. Okay. Well, two, two or three. We'll see. So, yeah, that's it for my X-Men reading. Sandman? Yeah, <laughs> I don't have anything more to like. I, you know, I like to to have some sort of moral or something, or like this right. is yeah. Oh, uh, king of transitions. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that was um, that was Sandman. <laughs> okay, okay, Sandman. We have four issues. We have four issues with three different artists. And they're all short stories, but kind of more than just Monster of the Week, because we do get sense of like mythology and what's going on and why these are like thematically relevant. Along right. The way. So one of our last pods when we we're, I think it was the last time we reviewed, when we reviewed the last eight issues, I talked about how Gaiman is writing Sandman as like three different genre or like Mm. story arcs Mm -hmm. there's exploring the history of the world and the influence of dream on the world through the ages yes exploring earth's history there is the aspect of exploring the the endless and their realms and their worlds and how they interact with humans and then there's the like the current story, what is Dream doing now that he's gotten released and going around and like rebuilding Dream and yada, yada, yada. Yes. These four issues are all that first one of exploring the influence of Dream pre, mostly yes. pre-imprisonment. Yes. And his, basically stories of his interactions with the world's history. And yeah. um, it's, it's, it's really fun. This is these are the stories that I think are what get people really into this title. Absolutely. And I I'm starting to get it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm starting to understand why people like Sandman so much. Cause like it's not your like typical superhero beat 'em up. The only time that we go beyond the punching is when there's a lull in the fight and the antagonist and the protagonist have a, a word battle of yeah. beliefs. And that's how you like expand on the principles of the world. And this right. is so different. Yes. That like, and I'll talk about it more after we kind of go through these four issues, but it is very interesting how gaming is looking at, this world and how he he's clearly thought about this story for quite some time before yes. he sat down and wrote yes. it. Yes. <laughs> it is so 
layered. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. So one, one note on the, the, the fact that there are three different artists for these four issues. Mm-hmm. I, I read some interview at some point where, where Gaiman was asked like, you know, isn't it kind of, is it kind of a bummer that you didn't get to work with like a consistent art team throughout the whole thing? And he was like, no, actually I, I kind of preferred to work with different artists. Like, it, you can you can bring different things out of different like story beats from a different artist and you can like write to their strengths but also you can choose artists whose strengths match the tone of the part of the story that you're trying to tell and it's especially good for a tale like sandman which is so broad but also so like the sense of reality is so mutable that you, mm-hmm. different like type, you know, as we'll see in this very first issue, like this is where my theory before of, you know, that he appears as whoever wants to see him, you know, like in this issue. Oh no, sorry. Not the first issue. I'm the thinking second you're issue. thinking the second one. I was thinking, the is second that one issue. of your favorites? Is that one of your favorites? Yeah, you should, you should, you should guess because it'll be obvious as I talk about it. Obviously a the dream cat, of a thousand cats. Obviously the cow issue is one of my favorite <laughs> issues of comics of all time. Come on. Legitimately listeners. Yeah. I don't know if there's anyone in my life who is more a cat person than <laughs> Steven Stormin. <laughs> yes. He is such a cat person. It's, it's, so it's I, I never would have pegged it. <laughs> I was raised by cats. Okay. <laughs> Steven is a cat person. And I'm thinking Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, my mom's a cat, and my dad is a Shakespeare actor. So, <laughs> you, <laughs> you got the whole origin story right here. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that's that's what I thought. All right. Yep. So, yeah. So, this first first issue, or sorry, did you have more you wanted to dive no, into? No, no. Let's let's jump into it. I guess first issue open with a big old content warning on Calliope. The whole issue is about rape. If it that's is. something that you don't want, you know, frank discussion about, just skip ahead a, a couple minutes or so. Yeah. We'll, and then we'll, yeah. Yeah. So basically we get introduced to the fact that there are nine muses in the world. Mm-hmm. And if slash when you sleep with one, they give you these like profound removal of my writer's block inspiration I mean, you tell the greatest stories. <laughs> basically, the idea here is that all mythologies are real and happened, right? Mm-hmm. And and we've kind of gotten to this, like, when people mistake the endless for gods and they say, no, we're above gods. Gods rely on belief and we are an aspect of existence. And so, yeah, these are the muses of Greek mythology, Calliope mm-hmm. being one of the nine. Mm-hmm. And they're the children of the fates too, which is interesting to me. The fates are yeah. an interesting recurring character slash mm-hmm. characters in this story. Yeah. So you get introduced to Mac, Rick, Maddock. Ricardo Maddock, Richard Maddock. Yeah. He basically purchases Calliope from this other famous writer. Well, um, th- he's going to become a famous writer because he's got a writer's block. His deadline's coming up. He's he's had one successful novel and can't follow yeah. it up. Yeah. 
and he finds this other uh, writer and he buys Calliope from her and basically tells him, yeah, you know, do with her what you will. If you sleep with her, you will uh, be inspired. Yeah. So takes her um, from one castle to his prison of, a, of an apartment, rapes her that first night. And then overnight he writes two new novels. Yeah. Well, yeah. a couple things, Calliope's captivity, especially in the first, you know, with the first writer, Erasmus Fry, it really feels like it mirrors Dream's captivity. And they, you know, it's revealed that they were both being held captive at the same time. Yeah. And the the human gives, you know, each of them a promise to let them go that they later turn back on. And Fry mm-hmm. gives the line, writers are liars, as the reason he turned back on it turned back on his word, which seems like just the absolute like Gaiman must have loved writing that line. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, the the fates return. She she asks for help while she's you know in Maddox captivity. She calls on the fates, who, like I said, we we learn are the muses' mothers, and we also learn that Calliope is the former lover of Dream, mm-hmm. and that they had a child together, Orpheus of the Greek myth. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah. So the muses are the, sorry, the fates are like, you could call dream because he would have enough power to do something about this. Yeah. But we can't. And she's like, no, like there's no way he would talk to me. We, uh, we have too much history. Yeah. But please anyone else. While she's having this conversation, Maddox is going around writing play after play or book after mm-hmm. book after book. He wants to write a play. His, his agent's like, no. So he gets a new agent and then he makes, he becomes a playwright and then he starts writing movies. Yep. Like all of the successes. He's at one, a party. He calls him. He says, I do regard myself as a feminist writer. Get the fuck out of here. This is, this is such a, like every, you know, self-described feminist who's been me too'd is, Uncanny the way that this calls, you know, from 30 years beforehand, calls them all out. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he's having this conversation with this motherfucker lady. just because he calls himself a feminist. Yeah. And he said, she says, I loved your characterization of Eileen. There aren't enough strong women in fiction, which there, I don't know if there ever will be enough right. strong women in fiction. And yeah, he's like, I, I do regard myself as a feminist writer. And you're like, cool buddy you fucking rapist what we do behind closed doors so so yeah so he gains more and more fame he's writing more and more things movies books tv shows plays all kinds of stuff and then calliope finally sees dream Mm -hmm. and she's like is could you help me even though we have our history together Mm -hmm. and he says i cannot personally free you but i can plant the seed yeah. So he has a conversation with Maddock and dreams pissed <laughs> from personal experience. Like, you know, he was held captive for decades. Calliope was held captive for decades and passed from owner to owner. And dream is very aware of the atrocities that have been brought down upon her. And 
And he's like, I need this for the, you know, I, I need to keep doing this. I need the ideas. And he's like, well, if it's ideas you want, I will give you'll you have all the ideas. ideas. Yeah. And, and he goes crazy trying, he can't, you know, he has so many ideas. He has to eventually, he destroy his fingers and write with blood on the walls in order to, to get any get them of, out of his head. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so his, like his fingers have just been ground down to points and he's like scratching at his own skin and so gross. It's a real yeah. body horror. Yeah. And an old fan of his, an old doctor finds him and he's like, you can't help me, but go and tell, go, go to my house, take the key, find a woman, tell her she's free. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so the doctor goes to the house, goes to free her, doesn't find her because she's an aspect. <laughs> right. And But she's freed anyway. And so, yeah. So because Maddox has officially freed her, she and Dream are watching on. And she's like, well, thank you for that. <laughs> and he's like, what are you going to do now? And she's like, I don't know. I might. This, this new age is so different. It's I, the muses don't fit here anymore. Yeah. And then she says to him, I, I love that. This is just like, even though this is a side story, we, we do hit on the broader themes and the idea that there's some, this larger character art going on with dream. She says, you've changed Oniros in the old days. You would have left me to rot forever without returning a hair. Do you still hate me for what I did? He says, no, I no longer hate you, Calliope. I've learned much in recent times and no matter. <laughs> I do not hate you. She says, uh, maybe I could visit you in the dream realm. What do you think? She says, I do not think that would be a good idea. Yeah. So just the, this idea of their past, again, his messy past with another woman causing ongoing strife in his heart and issues that can't be resolved. I have one more note here on this issue. And that is, if I was more familiar with Gaiman's other work, I would like to see how many of the cursed ideas or other uh, are other uh, oh that gosh. Maddock had are other story prompts that Gaiman had either already written or ended up writing. Yeah, it really made me curious along those same lines. I'm yeah. just like, I was putting myself in his shoes of like, come up with a random story plot and just make him blurt it out. But like how many of those were ones that he wanted to write? <laughs> yeah. Or that Discarded were left on like they, the right. Yeah. That yeah. were left on the floor and he just picked up for this guy. Yeah. It was so like some of those random ones were so weird. Yeah. <laughs> like two old women taking a weasel on holiday. Griffins <laughs> shouldn't marry. Vampires don't dance. A man who inherits a library card to the library of Alexandria. A rose bush, a nightingale, and a black rubber dog collar. Like all these really random things mm-hmm. that like they're just <laughs> they're just random words from the American dictionary. And, and yes, he's they're just throwing them <laughs> into a sentence. And it's yeah. like, oh, that would be interesting. Oh, yeah, that right. is kind of random. Oh, huh. Hmm. <laughs> Gaiman just has so many uh, great ideas that you can just throw these out. Yeah. An old man in Sunderland who owned the universe and who kept it in a jam jar in a dusty cupboard under his stairs. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so cool. So, so interesting. I, I was, it was really cool. Yeah. So muses exist. Yes. 
Death by a Thousand Cats. <laughs> dream of a Thousand Cats. Sorry, de- Dream of a Thousand Cats. It's, I guess it, it is implied that it would also be Death by a Thousand Cats. You know, sort if, of, yeah. If the thing that the cats would be dreaming of would happen. Yeah, it is. This was a story. I and pure imagination. I, it's yeah, it makes me question everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is such the crux of the idea of Sandman to me. Mm-hmm. Just the the way that dreams and belief shape reality. And, yeah, and oh, just yeah. the way that the matter of factness that it goes about these just like fundamental alterations of reality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we start this issue. I mean, this entire issue is from the perspective of cats, of mm-hmm. some household cats. And at night they go to this graveyard they all think speak to each other. Like yeah. everything is cats from are the all cat's telepaths. We know this anyway. Yeah. <laughs> everything is from the cat's perspective. And so we are seeing this in their language, in their um, frame of mind, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And they are, they're like, Hey, it's your first time. This is this little kitten. It's like, Hey, it's your first time. You ready to go? It's like, yeah. What do you think it's going to be like? It's like, Oh, it's going it, to, no, I don't know. We're going to, we're going to go find out. Let's go see. And they all gather in a graveyard and they're here to meet the, like the prime leader cat for what some, some sort of like prophet cat is what she's like held up as. Mm-hmm. And she's here to basically tell a story. Feel free to stop me if you feel yeah, like yeah. I'm not portraying the weight of. <laughs> no, it's all great. <laughs> go, away. go, go. So, so she hears she's she tells her story, and her story is one of she is a purebred uh, Siamese. She has a Lady in the Tramp story mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where she meets this like feral wild cat. They have a night of passion. She has a litter. Her owners don't want this mix unpure litter. And so they take her kittens and um, drown them. Yeah. And she, she comes to realize, you know, she thought that she had this very comfortable, happy life, but it was all a delusion that these humans hold the power of life and death over her and, and other cats. And she doesn't have this freedom. She doesn't have this, you know, she she's at their whim and she's yeah. like, this is a great injustice. This is deeply wrong. There must be another way. Yeah. She really, yeah. She realizes that cats and humans are not on equal ground and she has this comfy lifestyle because she is this prized possession yeah. of the humans, not a partner of the humans. And so while she's mourning the loss of her litter, uh, she dreams of an answer of how she can change this life. And she shows up in dream world and she gets greeted by a skeleton of a vulture and it's like, Hey, what are you doing here? And she's like, I have to find an answer. Something like this isn't right. There's gotta be a different, a different way. And he's like, well, there is an answer. There's a, there's a dream cat. Mm-hmm. You can go and meet in a cave over in that uh, mountain. So the, the way is going to be treacherous. And she's like, I, I must go. So she um, 
goes has a great heroic journey. Yeah, yeah, and she meets the dream cat. It's a giant, all black cat with glowing yellow eyes. Obviously, it's dream. Obviously, yeah. If it wasn't blatantly obvious, his speech bubble is exactly the same (laughs) as portrayed for dream in all his other appearances. And dream tells this cat of the time that used to be. And it was a world where the cats ruled and they were huge, like 10, 15 feet tall. Yeah. And during the day, they would they would sleep and humans were super tiny and they would live together in harmony. And then at night, the cats would hunt the humans. And it was like this perfect balance mm-hmm. of, of feline domination. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day... There was one human who had a dream, a dream where the humans were in charge. And he started to really believe in this dream. And he started to tell other humans of this dream. Yeah. And at night, more and more humans shared this dream to the point where as soon as enough humans had this dream, say a thousand, the next morning, the world became our world. And where cats were pets as yes. a servant and small. <laughs> and not only that, they changed it so that it had never been the other way. Yeah. And so, and so Dream is like, that is what happened. And the cat's like, wait, it, so that's what it used to be like? And Dream's like, you don't understand. The humans created the world so your old way never was. Yeah. The, they have rewritten history. They've rewritten reality. They've rewritten the future because of the power of their dream. Yeah. And the cat's like, so if enough of us dream how it should be, we can change it. Mm-hmm. And dream says, I don't know, maybe. And so now she comes and then she woke up. And so now she has this new drive, this new mission to inspire the cats around the world to dream of the, the old way the way that it should have been when cats were in charge. Yes. And so she has, so now if she can convince a thousand cats to share this dream, then they will rewrite their reality. So she goes and meets pets. She goes and meets wild cats. She's just going around on this great mission, telling countless numbers of cats in the hopes that one day, she will inspire enough cats to share this dream. And when they wake up the next morning, the cats will be in charge. And that's how it will always have been. So interesting. And and as they leave, the kitten's like, do you think it'll happen? And one of the other cats is like, little one, I would like to see anyone, prophet, king, or God, persuade a thousand cats to do anything at the same time. <laughs> no, it'll never happen. Right? <laughs> yeah. And the kitten gets a quick chance to, to say hi to the prophet. And he's like, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the prophet's like, then there's hope. And it's like, ah! And then we get the 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 stinger at the end of uh, the kitten is back uh, at their home and is it's dreaming of and hunting. dreaming. And they're like, oh, it's so cute. It's dreaming of hunting something. Obviously, <laughs> dreaming of hunting and killing humans. <laughs> oh, so great. Oh, man. It's like... To be in Neil Gaiman's head right. and look at right. cats that he's grown up around, yeah. to be like, 
want to tell a story about these guys. <laughs> so, yeah. So, obviously, I love this comp- this issue because I love cats. But also, I think it's such an incredible statement on the power of belief and the power of dream. Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, exactly believe that if enough people just think about something hard enough that it becomes real. But I do think that it's through belief that you change your conception of what's possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like living in a world that I think is incredibly unjust in so many ways and needs to be changed in all these different ways. And and just such an incredible parable about the power of of belief and of, of dreaming things to be a different way, turning this into something that goes from an impossibility to something that you can actually do and accomplish. Yeah. Just incredibly inspiring, beautiful story. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. It is a shining example of the power of dream to your point, but it's just like to like to imply really that how much we can affect our own reality to make a world for the better for ourselves in, the, in that in that perspective like we were once hunted every night by cats yeah <laughs> and then one day we dreamed of something better and we created it it ended up being a really shitty world but <laughs> like end of the day like yeah. just in, just showing the power of belief and and hope and dream is so cool so cool totally Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream. Sensing a theme here about dreams, huh? Right. Oh, man. So back in the Hobgadling issue, Dream met Shakespeare, Uh gave him a deal that he would be able to write well and commissioned two plays from him. This being the first of the two. This being the first. And it's called Midsummer Night's Dream. And basically, it's revealed that he, he... he did this as a favor for the fairies as a tribute for the fairies so that they would be remembered. The fairy king and queen are not welcome on earth anymore because Gaia doesn't want them there. And so, okay. So one step back. Yeah. Dream meets. So Shakespeare is taking the troupe to yeah. go and perform their first performance of Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. And, um, Everyone's like, okay, where are we going? Where are we going? Uh, we're not going to perform at a hall tonight. It's going to be somewhere. We'll see. And then Dream shows up and meets up with Shakespeare. And he's like, this is where it's going to be. And he's like, okay, uh, sure. Just like, out in the middle of nowhere. A, this is a weird place. Rolling hills. Yeah, just on a hill. Yeah. And Dream and Dream is like, why is this place odd? Wendell's Mound was a theater before your race came to this island. And Will's like, before the Normans? He says, before the humans. And you're like, oh. And then so, so he's like, okay, this is where we're gonna do it. This is where we're gonna have our first performance. All right, let's 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 go for it. And and Will's like, are you gonna be the only audience? He's like, no, the audience is on their way, they'll be here shortly. I'm like, okay, let's go. And so they they all get ready and everyone's like getting in their in their costumes and all that stuff. And while they're doing that, Wendell opens the door, a door, and a bunch of fairies and a king and queen yeah. of fairy dumb roll through. They all sit up on the hill and they're getting ready to watch. And 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 they the the issue is um Shakespeare and his troop performing 
Midsummer Night's Dream for the very first time yeah. for the fairies. Who are characters in the play. Yeah. Yeah. Like the real Oberon and Titania, etc. Yeah. Oberon, to Titania, Puck, Peas, Peas Blossom. Yes. While they're watching, Dream leans over to uh, the king and queen and, and, and uh, is like, hey, even though you're not allowed here on Earth anymore, your names and your stories are going to live on through this play. And this is my gift to you. Yes. To honor like your legend and your influence on Earth. And it's just, that was so cool. <laughs> Within this part where we're introduced to Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, mm-hmm. who apparently is a real historical, you know, person. Character. Mm. Yeah. Shakespeare had a son named Hamnet. And Hamnet says, uh, you know, he's, you know, we really see Shakespeare as like a difficult man and completely checked out from his children. And Hamnet says, yeah, if I died, he'd probably just write a play about it, which... <laughs> yeah dream is like you know i just want you know you will be remembered by mortals until this age is gone and oberon the king oberon's like i mean thanks but like this isn't true none of this happened yeah and dream's like but it is true yeah things need not have happened to be true i love tales and dreams are the shadow truths that will endure when mere facts are dust and ashes and forgot and and we see the uh the fairy folks so cool i know (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh and the fairy just yeah as, as the uh, as as the the performance starts, the a lot of the fairies in the audience are are just perplexed by the whole thing, right? They're like, "This yeah. is supposed to be me, but I never said this." And it's like, "It's I never it, said it, it, that." No, yeah. Shut up! Don't worry about it. Just yeah, let it happen. Yeah. Stop talking watch, over the play. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, they're having so much fun watching this. Yeah, and it's just it's so cool. And like, I want this to be the story. Yes. Like of what actually happened right. with Shakespeare, right? <laughs> and their first performance of Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, are you kidding me? This is so cool. Uh, the the one fairy who gets it immediately and loves it is Puck. Yes, and so and so then Puck uh, during the intermission, Puck knocks out the character, the actor who's supposed to play Puck. Which yes. I think is Hammett. And he wears the puck mask and goes and performs in the yeah, in the, <laughs> in the show yeah. for the end. And he does the monologue at the end. Yes. Uh, if we shadows have offended, think but this and all is mended and all that other kind of stuff. And I love that ending soliloquy, by the way. It's great. Yeah. And you know what? This is where I admit that I've never seen Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. I've never read a Mid- Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. I was first introduced to the character of Puck in the Gargoyles TV show. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then and then in and then decades later, Spectacular Spider-Man, the second season, did a high school play of Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, cool. And Hobie Brown, who's been a silent character this entire time, <gasps> dressed as Puck speaks for the first time doing the outro, the soliloquy, the um, cool. if we shadows have offended. Yeah. And so 
that just brings me, I love the spectacular Spider-Man. I was so sad that it got canceled. <laughs> and Hobie's is so cool. And and he got to be Puck. And that was the first time we see him speak. And he's doing the outro perform the the outro for the whole performance. And it's like standing ovation and all this other stuff. And like, else the puck a liar call. So good night until you all, and just all this stuff. Yeah. And so like I I don't know the original Midsummer Night's Dream, <laughs> but I have seen <laughs> pieces here and there. Nice. But anyway, yeah. So the real puck gets away. I should yeah. <laughs> so one thing from the, you know, from the real play Midsummer Night's Dream that absolutely landed in the retelling in this issue when Bottom says, you know, he's like I'll I'll play the lion and I will roar such that the king will say, "Let him roar again." <laughs> And yeah. that's like the, and the biggest fairies are loving it. And it's the biggest <laughs> laugh line in the play in general. And I love that they made it the just like absolutely land that's in awesome. the story here too. We get a little note here. I think one of the the fairy royalty says uh, Orpheus wrote one like this before. So we're we're getting again Orpheus recurring. Interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, not only does does Puck take over the the role of Puck in intermission, but Titania goes to seduce Hamnet. Like all of the fairy can't help but be themselves and make the <laughs> like they are demonstrating the truth of the play as yeah. they're watching it. It's oh, it's so cool. It is so cool, and it ends with Puck running away. Yeah, staying on uh, Earth into the night. Yeah. Staying on Earth, and so we'll see. This is centuries ago, so we'll see what the <laughs> yeah. puck puck has been up to. And and they also say that this puck is, you know, not a a cheerful like mm-hmm. merrymaker scoundrel. He's an insane, bloodthirsty psychopath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man! And then uh, everybody wakes up, and it was all a dream. It was all a dream. <laughs> but like. But yeah, they they wake up and they're like, "Holy crap! What what happened? Let's go to the tavern, guys." <laughs> so yeah. like, they did their first performance to the fairies. They don't remember it, but like, we remember. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just that was so cool. That was a really fun issue. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I I see why you like that issue so much. Yeah. So the last issue. The last issue is one of the last parts of Sandman trying to kind of straddle the line and stay part of mainstream DC continuity. Okay. So you do know about Metamorpho. <laughs> I, I don't, but I, you know, looked the whole thing up on. Gotcha. I Googled it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't cool. know the character, but, and this is element girl, I suppose. Metamorpho's, you know. Yeah. Metamorpho's the guy. Yeah. I didn't know there was an element girl. <laughs> I I thought there were, I thought this was him expanding on that whole idea right. and letting there be others. I didn't know Element Girl's a person. Mm-hmm. And it's just whole, like, what happens to this discarded, these discarded superhero characters? All these people who get strange powers and have these, you know, monumental life-changing things happen to them over the course of superhero comics and then just get discarded from, from continuity and publishing and, and what happens to the rest of their lives if they don't continue being superheroes and they're just they their ability to live normal lives has just been destroyed by their powers yeah yeah 
So, so yeah, so Element Girl is not in a good place. No. For those who don't know, so Metamorpho and Element Girl, through whatever means... The power can, of Ra, the, the, yeah, the yes, Egyptian god of the sun gave them these powers, yeah. They can turn into any chemical, basically. Mm-hmm. Any, uh, sorry, any element. But because, but part of that is they look very different. They, mm-hmm. uh, if you, if you visually take their bodies and you take their left leg, right leg, left arm and torso and right arm and torso, each of those are a different color now. Their tops are purple and orange. The the right leg is like made of wood. The left leg is made of metal. The right arm is made of rock and the, or the left arm is made of rock. Or right arm is made of rock and the left arm is all scaly and purple. And then the face is like white. Super pale stone. white and like borderline mummified. Yeah. And then the hair is And so green. it's funny. Yeah. So, and yeah, the hair is wiry and green. So Metamorpho doesn't have hair. Yeah. And in the Justice League cartoons where you get Metamorpho as a character, it's not necessarily shown that those were like specifically different elements. It was just different colors. Mm. So I did not know that it's like wood, rock, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just looking at, at the art of her in this issue. Yeah. I don't, I yeah. don't know. The for art sure. portrayed as such. Yeah. Definitely, I mean, her leg is absolutely wood. <laughs> There's no <laughs> arguing that. But yeah. And so they can change their bodies into different elements. They can also like shoot those elements if they choose like something radioactive to take out somebody or acid and hydrochloric acid and, and magnesium and all that good stuff. So anyway, that's what I know of Metamorphos. Yeah. Metamorpho himself wants to be a good guy. He has a tragic anti-hero type story and he is a member of Justice League from time to time. Element Girl, same thing, but she seems to be in a much darker place. Yeah. She has been forgotten by the public. They seem to have or currently work for a government agency and she is no longer useful to them. And so she's basically been discarded into nothing. And uh, she doesn't want to be anymore. Yeah. She's ready. She's ready to end it. Yeah. And but uh, as soon as, yeah, as soon as she says to herself, I'll kill myself, she starts to question how. And then death, the, uh, the, the endless death uh, comes um, and hangs dreams, up. Dreams, little, dreams, little sister. Big sister. Yeah. Big sister shows up and it's like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I was, literally walking by i heard the door was open i heard someone screaming thought i'd come and say what's up yeah <laughs> and they just have a little she's conversation she's so cool she's just so grounded and warm and soulful and ugh. right and she's and so she's like so what's going on you want to talk how you doing <laughs> <laughs> and element girls just like listen things aren't going well i'm not happy i want i want to die and she's like Oh, is that so? She's like, who are you? She's like, well, you know who I am. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, my sweet goodness almighty. Death, the glorious and amazing death. And she's like, I mean, I'm death, but I'm not glorious and I'm not powerful. Yeah. I just, I'm I'm here when things die. Yeah. And and she's got the this great line, when the universe ends, I'll put the chairs on the tables and turn on, turn out the lights and lock the doors behind me. Yeah. 
she's so calm. She's so grounded. So uh, she's like, listen, honestly, there's a woman upstairs changing the light bulb in her kid's room. Step ladder slipped. Like I said, I was literally just passing by. I heard you crying and the door was open. So I wanted to see how you're doing. I'm not here for you. I am not your grim reaper. I'm like, just fucking, I'm everywhere right now. In West Africa, a small village is being massacred by mercenaries in pay in pay of their own government. I'm over there. In the farthest reaches of distant galaxy, a planet is being ripped apart by internal stresses. The planet was home to many crystal intelligences, calm and fine and beautiful. I'm there as well. I'm in all those places, and I'm also here talking to you. But I'm not your death. At least, not yet. Is And, and Element Girl is just like, but like... But you're here. <laughs> like how, w- these are the different ways I've thought of to to off myself, and I know elementally they're not going to work because I'll probably just be some consciousness in the ocean, or I will continue to exist consciously through in the air and all this other stuff. And death, death is just like okay. Well, I mean, you could talk to the person that gave you your powers. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I can't go to Egypt. It's like, oh God. Okay. So <laughs> the sun's coming up, right? And you're given to you by by Ra, the sun god. So this is kind of his aspect. Yeah. Why don't you talk to the sun? <laughs> and she's like, um, I okay. And so Element Girl looks, you know, looks out the window and sees this rising sun. She tries talking to it off panel. It talks to her back in her mind, and she says, Okay, and then she looks at the sun. She's like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is all I needed. I can. This is the mask that I needed to remove." There's a mask theme that we haven't mm-hmm. talked about. It's yeah. not entirely important. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's like I never realized before. The sun, it's just a mask too. The face behind it, it's beautiful. It's and then she turns to stone. Yep, and she gets her release finally. She's released, and death is like, "All right, Rainy, better luck next time." And she crumbles away and death was there. And that kind of closes the chapter for Element Girl. And another little view of good lady death <laughs> and just kind of the character that she is. She is, I am, I'm so impressed at this characterization, characterization of right. death. She's so like, great. Every other, okay, I can't say every other. The only other time I've come across death is Marvel death. And she is portrayed as this like lustful object, this object of desire. She has plans and desires of her own. And mostly cold and lifeless. Like she's, she's usually portrayed as a skeleton and this unattainable thing. But like she's a foil for the main character. Yeah. And and then you come over here and you have this death that's just super casual. Yeah. Just hanging out, being death. She has no agenda. She has no apparent desires of her own. She's just hanging out. The only desire we've seen is her desire to want to hang out with Dream and help him out when he needs help. Yeah. <laughs> like she wants to take a... care of the other endless. Yeah. Be her, yeah. be his sister. And like she's so laid back and she doesn't she has yet to like lead someone to their death yeah it's true you know she's just like well this is where i have to be because death is about to happen yeah like she's not like 
she interacts with people <laughs> and like yes. gives them their ball back or has a conversation. Whereas the death in Marvel, if you look at her or if you touch her, she kills you. Like it's a very different portrayal of the aspect that is death. Absolutely. And Neil Gaiman's death is so cool. Yes. <laughs> I fully understand why Tanya did death for a costume. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Many times. Oh man. I that was that was fun. Awesome. I, I really like this death. Really glad you're enjoying <laughs> Sandman. I knew you would. I knew you'd come around. I will say I've 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 come around because I'm reading it now. Yeah, that makes sense. The other two times I've tried. And so like the first time I tried, definitely wasn't ready. Second time I tried, I was more intrigued and I was a different place in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting, but not enough for me to be like, I need more. But both those times, I had a very different relationship with comics. Hmm. And I think I was expecting something that I wasn't getting Interesting. this book. Especially because of the pod, I am a different place with comics where I'm looking into them deeper than just the page mm. these days. Yeah. Because I kind of naturally have to in order for us to like review the comics that we read. Yeah. And so there's a lot we I've been involved in a lot more conversations about the message behind the comic cool. and the thought process of the comic and all these other little things that add up. And then I get to something like a Neil Gaiman Sandman. And I think a lot of those concept or concepts are where this shines. Absolutely. This is, yes, this is different. So we're, we're running long. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go over this as quickly as I can. Yes. As I've alluded, I, I went into, I've gone into this so many times thinking this is going to be another DC or Marvel comic book. Right. Where those are, you have a bad guy, you have a good guy, you have relatable stories, but the the climax is always an action. Right. Some sort of fight, some sort of big ordeal. Whereas this is literally just a looking glass into dream and dream yeah. is not a fighter <laughs> dream just dream is an inspiration to some and and a nightmare to others and it's it's we're spending this book just kind of looking into all these different perspectives and aspects of consciousness the endless but, but yeah. mainly dream and yeah and consciousness and it's super interesting. And I did myself, but also the book, a disservice thinking it was going to be something else. Mm. Most superhero comics, they talk about issues or big idea stories through the lens of a super. Yeah. Like the whole idea with Marvel is it's the world outside your window, but with superpowers. With Sandman, it's the human world and how the human world affects the super or the ethereal or yeah. the other and how those two marry together. And that is a very different perspective of comics and especially coming from a DC or a Marvel right. that is so fun and so 
surprising. You also, you, you get such a different attitude towards plots in something like this because mm-hmm. like on the one hand, su- like superhero comics want to like end a plot thread or, or like end a story arc with like, this is the conclusion. Right. But like all of these, these plot threads are tied up except for this lingering one. So we continue uh-huh. the story and like, you know, the conclusions are less pat in a different story. They're not as like neatly like tied up and served to you, but they're also more full in the sense that like mm-hmm. a story can actually end and just stop. And then yeah. you're doing something else. Right. And like, this just feels like I'm going to create this character. Yeah. He isn't endless. Yeah. And these issues, these 20 issues are going to be, different ways in how the endless has interacted with the world. These are 20 issues and there's like 12 stories being told. Yeah. And that is so different. And you're not like, Oh man, we just established, you know, Calliope and element girl in this story. I can't wait to see the, the big, you know, return for those characters in, in yeah. volume 10. No, the, their stories are done. We're not, we're not right. building for something else. We're the satisfaction is in what we're reading. <laughs> Seriously. The, like <laughs> the, like the, when we get like a flashback issue in six, one, six. Yeah. And, and it like establishes a history so we can use it later. Yeah. This is just those issues. Yeah. <laughs> there's not some overarching big villain reveal that's going to happen at the end of issue 46 or anything. (laughs) It's, it's just, Hey, this is dream. This is how he's fucking inspired others and, and score and been scorned by others. And, and let's just jump around through all of time because dream exists outside of, out of, uh, outside of human lifespan. Yes. So let's jump to the early centuries and let's jump to the 1500s and let's jump to 1960, 1970, 1980, 1990 and like have a visit with the same guy every uh, 10 years, every hundred years. Like it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's so good. It's, it's such a deep story. It is fulfilling. It is not the book that I thought we were going to get. Cool. That's awesome. And that's been fun. What do you got next week? Oh man, next week, dude. So okay, I've I only have two books, but okay. I'm really stoked. Okay. So one is called Dark Ages. Okay. I don't know anything about it, but it has Spider-Man, Fantastic, and Fantastic Four on the cover. <laughs> and that's all it's six issues and then one bonus issue. It's seven issues long. Okay. But it's called Dark Ages. I don't know anything about what to expect from it, but whenever they do these kinds of other than dark old you there's going to be like some sort of interesting fun story so just give me that i'm I'm ready hell yes and then the other is the uh, banner of war oh yeah the The crossover crossover. of of thor and and the new hulk Hulk. yeah (laughs) good god so yeah we're gonna get spaceship (laughs) spaceship hulk versus thor with a reforged mjolnir uh that's been reforged with gold and possessed by Odin. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for those two books. I may read 
the last side 616 book that I have from my past, uh, which is X-Men Sword. Oh. That I picked up while we were in while I was in New York. Awesome. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I may read that so I can finally put it away. Nice. I've got X-Men Children of the Atom, which is I, I was flipping through it. It seems really interesting. Sort of a retelling of the, you know, the first class original uh X-Men, but you know, a little more updated for more modern times and also a little more like going into a lot more detail about things that are going behind the scenes, like a lot of emphasis on interactions between Charles Xavier and FBI agent Fred Duncan, who was like the main government point of contact during the first class years Mm. and like ran a lot of interference for them and stuff. So I'm really excited to see what that's all about. It, it seems like I'm, I'm interested. It's also, Mm. yeah. It's also by a writer, Joe Casey, who did a good run on Uncanny a few years later. And then there's also a, um, similarly, (laughs) there's a a short series called X-Men The Hidden Years, which I think sort of what happened with the the original five X-Men between the time that basically their book was canceled or the original five plus Havoc and Polaris. So the, the X-Men team sort of between 1970 when X-Men issues went to reprints and 75 when giant size X-Men happened, like filling in those years of stories. Um, so each of those are, uh, I guess, uh, Children of the Atoms, a six issue miniseries, uh, and this Hidden Years is seven issues. Might be an ongoing ish, uh, series, but just a story arc here. And then after that, I've got a, a one shot for uh, X Babies Reborn. And I've also got a um, Rachel Summers Phoenix miniseries, which also seems to be a flashback. So I might keep it just to flashbacks this, this next week. And then, of course, you know, volume four of Sandman, if you're in this with me. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, All then right. with that, yep. let's put the outro music here okay that's a good place for it just uh, check in for like the month or the okay your birthday you're gonna have to tell me how 37 is you know I always need